Welcome back to our Serious Disney special on the 2017 remake of Beauty and the Beast. The first part, you may recall, was released as a special episode for Christmas 2020. Fitting, since it's about something we looked forward to for a long time and then when it came it was the worst version of itself it could be with all the aspects we love either sincerely reduced or removed altogether replaced by a kind of lonely frustration. But this was, I'm compelled to remind you, recorded in the pre-Covidian, when everything was fine asterisk, and Jahan and I were able to sit in my living room and chat for as long as we liked and, well, when it comes to a film like this, the chat goes on for a while. In fact, at this point in it, I was getting audibly a bit salty. It's close to my tea time. But the length of the chat necessitated my splitting it up into chunks for release. But this is the final chunk, so let's get it all sorted out. Now, where did we leave off? That's right, we're going to try and figure out exactly what they meant with their new reimagined version of Gaston. That's where we start today, on this next bit of the big Beauty and the Beast deep dive. So yeah, like... While we are going through the characters then, yep. um, let's have a word on Gaston. Let's do Gaston, yes. Um. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I get a version of it. Every time I come close to getting it, it's because I've told my own stories in my head. Yeah. Um, I think, from what I can tell, they had some sort of an idea of... See, again, they've gone, what's the origin story of Gaston? Yeah. And instead of looking at, you know... American high school football kids. Yeah. They've looked at, like, oh, okay, well, he must have PTSD then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what, for what? Why? Yeah. What, what, to, to, to behave in what way? To be, to, to think that women shouldn't read? Because A, that doesn't work. B, you've cut that out. So yeah. Apparently, not that. So what? Yeah. And it seems like, see, what they've had is the germ of an interesting idea. Yeah. There's a version, of, there's a character, and you can call it Gaston if you want, and you can dress it like Gaston if you want. Yeah. There's a version of a character who has been away to this war. I don't know if, enough about French history to you know what war it is, but he's yeah. been away to war, he's come back, and now he has a sort of a, a certain amount of entitlement, a certain yeah. amount of hero's welcome, like hero worship in the town. Yeah. And a certain amount of... Only a, certain, only a amount. certain amount. Yeah. Not enough to carry the story that's necessary. Yeah. And certainly he has this... Uh, well, allegedly, he has this PTSD, although it's kind of only alluded to once. And if you weren't expecting it as I wasn't, that scene makes no sense at nope. all. And I'm... Unless I... And perhaps in my usual way, I'm forgetting bits, but I'm talking about the bit where in the middle of being actually quite nice to Maurice by genuinely taking him up and helping him to try and find Belle in the woods. Yeah. He just yeah. punches him out of nowhere and ties him up to be eaten by wolves. Yeah. Which is totally at odds with everything we've seen up till then. Yeah. In either version of Gaston. Because at least the original Gaston had a version of honour that, that we're not on board with as an audience, but that yeah. makes its own internal sense. Yeah. I just... I he, don't... he would not have murdered Maurice. No! And neither would this version up till that point. I just don't understand... Again, mm. I don't understand any of the, the decisions. And none of the decisions work with the story they're trying to tell about this character. No. Like, the... The, the point of Gaston! Yeah. The only point yep. of Gaston is that he's the sharp end of a wedge. Mm-hmm. He is society's prejudices writ large yeah yeah he is that town's prejudices writ large yeah. he's the manifestation of everything they wrongly value yeah uh, which 
thematically in the film is because it's about it's not what you look like yeah it's what's in your deepest soul and what's um, in deep well, i wouldn't say that what's in gaston's deepest soul is necessarily evil at the start it's just a bit crap and mean and not right yeah and then by the end it turns out that he had it within him all along and all of the pieces are there for him to be a villain yeah yeah that equation is all muddled up in this film they've, yeah they've taken all the numbers and scrabbled them around and because this Gaston doesn't feel like a representation of that town at all. No. He doesn't seem very popular. No. He's not. He doesn't look like he has many friends. He doesn't look like he talks to many people. No. He seems withdrawn. Yeah. It seems like like LeFou comes across as his carer more than his lickspittle. Yeah. This, maybe this isn't the, the right direction to look at it, but when I was watching it, this, this Gaston felt virginal to me. Yeah, I, the, right. The animated Gaston, he's been through those three women already. Yeah, right? Yeah, right? yeah, right, exactly. But this one, he he's not been, he's never been touched. This version no. of Gaston, because he'd go into a conversation with a woman like with a lot of swagger, but halfway through, yeah. his eye would start twitching and he'd like start <laughs> breaking down. Yeah, like that's how he's presented. Yeah, like he's unstable. He's yeah. odd. He seems withdrawn. Like, and look, there is. In 2017 as today. Yeah. Something, there is a story to be told about a virginal outcast man who doesn't feel like he can talk to women properly yeah. turning into a monster. But that's not what they did. And no. instead they, they put, again, they put tools in front of them and didn't use them and used them wrong. And Yeah. It's, I'm not, it sounds like I'm saying they should have done a certain thing here and I'm yeah. not. But when you start out with, when you look down the road and like, there's a clear direction, there's a clear direction, there's a clear direction, yeah. and they don't go down any of them, they just sort of weave among the yeah. trees and trip over. Like they, they bought all <laughs> the ingredients for a really delicious roast dinner and then tried to <laughs> bake a cake with it. <laughs> Can we change the name of the podcast? This we're just it's mostly about weird analogies at this stage. It's how I talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they've done. Yeah. Gaston starts out as this odd scared almost yeah. guy who's really like LeFou is probably the only person he t- interacts with yeah yeah you're right LeFou feels like his carer yeah but also LeFou starts out feeling a bit like the bully in the room there's a yeah. couple of times where and it's not consistent so sometimes he does and sometimes he does there's a moment where LeFou um, goes like oh uh, it, and it's the moment where they where they turn on Belle for teaching that girl to read I think yeah and LeFou runs off to get Gaston to help her because she's being bullied so that's good yeah. and Gaston does go so that's good yeah so you're like how are they good and how are they bad and maybe what they were thinking was they wanted to do a modern take on the fact that in the original film and I never got this but th- this is kind of what they say it is you're not supposed to be aware that he's the villain at first because you're supposed to think, well, the beast will be the villain. So here's just this, you know, guy who's a bit full of himself. That's not too bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you, no one would ever be watching it in that manner. Exactly. I think but, it's pretty obvious that he's going to be the villain from the off. But he's at least not that bad at the start. And he's just a bit up himself. Whereas in this version, it's very difficult to know what the film wants you to think or itself thinks this character is. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why. Because, again, the stuff they do do... If it had just been, I almost want to say, edited differently. Yeah. All the ingredients are there to tell a clear story, but they don't. They tell a very muddled story. Yeah. Like, like okay. we've, like everyone said even before the film came out, just the little detail of having LeFou paying people yeah. to sing to about sing Gaston, Gaston yeah. during Gaston. Yeah. And this, and that speaks to a, 
two problems. One is this general wider one of, of just sort of getting things wrong. The other is that I'm pretty sure that that was supposed to be a Master of the House style gag that you were only supposed to be aware of in the instant it was happening. Like, yeah. ah, it would be funny if that. It yeah. was probably something they came up with as a suggestion in rehearsals. It seems like just a little throwaway gag, but it does, if allowed into the shape of the scene, yeah. ruin it. Yeah. If you take it seriously as something that's happening, yeah. then it ruins it. And there are, lo- there are lots of moments like that where I think the film only wants you to experience a, a line or an action in a, in a split second yeah. and see it as a little joke that you're supposed to just go like, hey, imagine if, yeah. rather than like, well, it did, that happened. So yeah. therefore, what what does that mean? And and I guess something about the tone of it meant that I never took them that way and I yeah. incorporated them all into the story. And now we have this... This version where the townspeople have to literally be paid to give him the time of day. And frankly, it, it's because it's reflected across so many other scenes. Yeah. And, like, there's just. There's so. I feel like there's more than one scene where, like, Gaston is doing his Gaston stuff. Uh-huh. And other townspeople are just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, gosh. Yeah. That's terrible. Like, what are you, what are you <laughs> up to? It's like, that is not how the townspeople are supposed to react to Gaston. Yeah. That breaks the entire point of the character. Yeah, it bre- yeah, it na- yeah, because and again, supposed to. We're not saying that it because of our nostalgia, it's not like the original. No. Yeah. What it is is that if that's the re- relationship between the people of the town and Gaston, then we have no Gaston song yeah. unless pe- you're paying someone to do it. Yeah. Uh we have we don't even we shouldn't even have kill the beast. No. Because that hinges on them him being their hero. And in this there we go. That's why they added the war thing. They've just gone, oh, he's a hero. What does that mean? Yeah. Literally, he's a quote-unquote hero. The sort yeah. of hero that I don't accept as being necessarily a hero, which is like, oh, he was in a war yeah. and isn't dead. Yeah. Therefore, equals hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only kind of hero he is. Yeah, yeah. In this? Yeah. And... And it doesn't carry the story and it and undermines he's... it. And... The other scene that, like, just breaks completely is the... He's like the the the, whole, the crazy old Maurice yeah. scene, because Gaston comes across and he's viewed as equally, if not more, crazy than yeah. Maurice. Yeah, Maurice in this film is perfectly with it. Yeah, there's nothing about him that seems eccentric. Yep. or that's, crazy. That's it. The, one of the bits I really objected to early on was where um, I'm going to. Here's a story from when I went to see it in London, the stage show. Yeah. You know the bit where um, you first meet Maurice and uh, and Belle says, like, Papa, am I odd? Yeah. And he goes, my daughter odd? And he pushes himself out from the cart and he's got the he, weird hat on. Yeah. What, where would you get an idea like that? Well, in the stage version, he just sort of went, he just did a little, um, he's got the monkeys dance on the stage. And I was like, that doesn't really carry that. Yeah. Well, then when I saw it again, I discovered that the actor just forgot the hat. So he had to do a silly little dance. (laughs) Because it completely undermines that line if Maurice isn't doing something crazy in that moment. And he's not. He's making a wonderful, little, beautiful thing that the film is showing us is meaningful, well-crafted, like it's emotionally important to him because it's a little model of him yeah. painting the picture of his wife when she was alive. Like that, the thing he's doing is great. And then he looks up from that and goes, Odd? My daughter, Odd? Whatever gave you an idea like that? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, whatever gave you an idea like that. Right. It's it's similar to that bit in The Lion King where yeah. it's like, um, you know, no one messes with your dad. And yeah. how they changed that to literally just mean, well, basically nobody seems to mess with your dad. <laughs> yeah. 
but and instead it was meant to be an emotional moment. In yeah. this, that was meant to be a joke. And that, yeah, crazy old Maurice is actually just like our best craftsman. Yeah, a <laughs> vitally important thing in yeah. this era town life. Yeah, like he'll be involved in. He'll have made the town clock. Yeah. Definitely, for sure, he'll make that. They all depend on that for their lives to run yeah. at all. They probably call him in to fix it once a month. Yeah, like he's a vital part of their society. Yeah, <laughs> and he he comes into the pub talking completely rationally, yeah. calmly. Yeah. So Gaston took me out onto the road, punched me in the face, and left me to die. Yeah. What the hell, man? Yeah. And their <laughs> like... response, to their credit, is oh. And they do confront Gaston about it. Yeah. And I do like that as a concept that I like the idea that they were like, okay, let's hear your side of the story, Gaston. What the f- <laughs> Yeah. Because they don't go like, oh, crazy old Maurice. Because crazy old Maurice, back in the old version, yeah. if he'd said like, Gaston tied me up to be eaten by wolves, yeah. they go like, <laughs> was it a big wolves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but that's because in the old one, he would have come in like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so- but this version, he's like, guys, um, we're going to have to talk. Yeah. I was just out with Gaston. Yeah. And they do. They they do go like, oh, yeah, okay, let's all wait here. And then yeah. he comes in. And they and so I like that they had that little confrontation. I thought it was not well handled how they... See, we're back to the story stuff. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about this again later. Yeah. Characters again. I don't like that bit. Crazy old Maurice is not even eccentric in this version. No. Nope. Undermines that. It, it's weird it that Kevin Klein is playing him because mm. Kevin Klein's mostly a comedian. Yeah, and he's playing him with warmth and gentleness here, and it's like, and that's I think is I think there's an appropriate version of, like I said earlier, maybe I've undermined that opinion now, but yeah. there is a version of Maurice that I like that about. But Kevin Klein, it's almost like, um, do we still have what's the guy's name who was Scuttle? Do we still have that guy? Oh, uh, Buddy Hackett. Okay. Do we still have Buddy Hackett? He would have been able to do it. That would have been a, a crazy old Maurice. They don't seem to be big on those like uh, roly poly childlike no. old men anymore, no. do they? Because no. they they took him out of Aladdin, yeah, as well, yeah. Um, but again, they made that uh, once again in <laughs> Aladdin. They basically made it work. Yep. Whereas here, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, because frankly, in this film, having Maurice be credibly someone who the townspeople would distrust uh-huh. the sanity of God. is a load-bearing structure in the plot. I didn't think earlier when I was saying that I liked that bit with Maurice. I have to take, I have to take it back now. Because yeah. I like that scene. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. It undermines it. Now, and I'm telling you why, the bridge between those two things for me was the stage version where they have a real human playing him. So it is just that... that but they also have the other thing to lean on, which is that the townsfolk... Are just simple-minded. Yeah. By by trying to quote unquote expand on what their story whole deal is, because yeah. they shouldn't have them... a deal. No, they they were just just a bit crap. They were just simplistic. They were simple reactionary and... people. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now they're actively hateful. Yeah. They are misogynistic. Yeah. In a way that I don't even think they were in Bell the Song. No. Nope. That wasn't specifically about being a woman and therefore you shouldn't read, which was Gaston's deal. Yeah. It was just like, oh, all right, hoity-toity. Like, they just sort of... 
Well, it's not even that she's hoity-toity. Like, this bell, the new bell's hoity-toity. Yeah. The, the bell that they're talking about in the original song is just wandering through town in the middle of, like, the morning rush yeah. with her bo- with a book covering yeah. her face. Like, and then sitting down in the middle of the fountain and relating her favourite part of the story to a sheep. See, the problem with this this film is that they this isn't one, thankfully, that they did, but it's the equivalent of going, let's think about that. How yeah. is Belle able, while everyone else is having to go about the hustle and bustle of working life, so she must be upper class. Yeah. She must be from old money. And then putting that as a story. That, yeah. That's the sort, that's not one, but it's the she sort of... She must be better than these plebs. Right! <laughs> that's the sort of decision they've, the thought, thought process that leads to this version of the story. And the result is, it doesn't work because the story, that's not the level on which that story made sense. No. That... It was a musical. It made sense on an emotional level, yeah. on an animated level, and not on a, you know, ding, pointing out the problems with the, the plot inconsistency level. Yeah. Correct, it doesn't work in that way. But once you try and write a story that does, you've got to change everything. And yeah. you can. And that's not what they did. Yeah. No. Like I said, they've changed everything without changing the shape. Yeah. They've, they've changed all the components without changing what the machine is supposed to do. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't do anything anymore. It doesn't work. None, none of it works. And just to close off the character point, yeah. we can just rush through yeah. the Enchanted Object people. There are the Enchanted Object people who are in, in the original, individual, warm-hearted people who yeah. you could enjoy on different levels. And in this, just a bunch of jokes. Yeah. Stupid jokes. Stupid jokes. They're, they're just a bunch of background noise. Yeah. You don't follow any of them, really. No. Uh, you don't really get a clear idea of who they are. No. Other than what you know about them already from the old film. Yeah. In the old one, when they turn into humans, it, it every single one of them is like, yep, logically that's that same person. And in this, you're like, well, who are we going to get next? There's no, there's no real sense of who they are when they're objects. No. Th- those performances are all in different incompatible ways I should add so overwrought yeah. so pantomime yeah. so caricatured that they don't in any sense come across as real people no. either as objects or as people no. and in particular like the two characters out of that bunch who you rely on for grounding human warmth of different kinds in the original Lumiere and uh, Mrs. Potts again Nothing, because they're just caricatures of caricatures. Yeah. You were asking, how does that happen? How do you go that wrong? How do you make Ewan McGregor and Emma Thompson that charmless? Yeah. By burying them under the most artificial voices you've ever heard anyone put on. Yeah. Um, yes. What is going on? I do not understand why, and I never understand why. You cast someone whose main, arguably, like, recognisable vocal trait is what accent they have. Why yeah. do you cast someone who can't do that accent? Yeah. Or or, or doesn't, or ha- doesn't have that... There are French people. <laughs> there are. But even if you're not going to cast a French person, no. there are people who can do cartoon French like voice. Jerry Orbach, for example. Yeah. Or, or René Aubergenois. Yeah, it, I mean, he surely counts as a French person. But he doesn't talk like that no. all the time. Actually, do you know, now I've never heard his talking voice, so I'll yeah, it's, over it. it. No, it, 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 it's well, more Odo than... It's, a, uh, it's more Odo than the chef from yeah, all the he, he does have a name, but I can't remember it now. <laughs> um, 
But get him in and get him to do that. Yeah. For example. He would be a great Lumiere. Right? Oh, he'd be such a good Lumiere. Oh, give me that. <laughs> yeah. What, this Daisy Ridley, Rene yes. Auberjonois version yeah. of this film? <laughs> oh, do it. <laughs> With, like, I don't know, Hugh Jackman as Gaston or whatever. Yeah. A de-aged Hugh Jackman. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I thought... Burke oh, Moses, is, if we're de-aging people, we're uh, going Broadway. Yeah. Get Burke in, he's amazing. Yeah. I was, I, I like, I had thought for Gaston, why yeah. like, maybe Zac Efron or someone. Like, you know, I can never remember who that is. Let me just Google a picture of him. He's the guy. He was the guy from High School Musical back in the day. Oh, but now he's super ripped. Is he? Yeah. Oh, there you go then. Yeah. And then you've brought in the crowd that came in for Emma Watson. Yeah. Because well, it's just I don't know whether he can pull off that whole like. Right. But then nor could Luke Evans. Mm. So, Luke Evans. I don't know anything about him except this one fact: stage guy, maybe even a musicals guy. Yeah. So he should have been. Yeah. You can again. An intelligent choice yeah. for the part. So was it his fault? Was it? Did they deliberately make him not Gaston-y when he could have been a good Gaston? Yeah. You know? Who knows? The, to be honest, for me, the point where I, the point when I first watched the film, when I realised, God, none of this is going to work, is it? Yeah. Was when they started going through Gaston, the song, yeah. and I was like, my patience with this film's already waning, but I'm going to give you up until... As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. <laughs> and then it's like, you've done all the Josh Gad parts of the, the, the song, which are okay, because yeah. Josh Gad's okay. Yeah. And then it's like, As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. <laughs> I'm like, right, no, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done now. Josh Gad is such a better LeFou than he is in this film. Yeah, right. He's, and I, I don't know... How that can be. I would love to see him play this part in the stage musical. I would love to see him play actually play LeFou rather than this. Dangerously close to straying from Gaston into LeFou. Are we ready to do that or is there more to say? Um, Did you you have a a specific whole discussion about LeFou? Yeah, because he's the first openly gay Disney character. Is he though? No. (laughs) Like, is he though both in terms of his role in this film no. and who the character of LeFou is or functions as in any kind of like so, pleasing way. I'm, I am referring to, the, and this is kind of blown by and it, it turned out not to matter, but yeah. when it was coming out, there was a lot of talk in the in the press stuff for this that it was going to be, a, what was the phrase, the, the first, um, what was it? Something There was an moment. exclusively gay moment. <laughs> That's it, exclusively gay moment. Now, still genuinely hard-pressed to tell you what they were referring to. It, I mean, did it get cut? It's that bit at the end. It, it can't be. It's, it is. It just can't be. It's the bit at the end where, in a big ballroom setting, where that thing's happening where the partners change over as the dance goes yeah. on, they do that Mr. Bean sketch where the two men end up dancing together. Yeah. But with the difference that... no, It's not like... Nobody goes like, oh, cool, uh, I'm dancing with a man now. Hooray. Like, it, it, there's almost no interaction between them. They just... Tw- do one twirl yeah it's not that I don't think that's it I think it got cut whatever the gay moment was no I'm sure that that's it why I hundred- there's, n- there's nothing gay about it because that's that guy that he ends up yeah. with is the guy from the earlier scene oh god it isn't is it yeah what the bit where 
the guy from the scene in the original who ends up in women's clothing and screams about it, in this version, he pulls a carry-on face. That was really rep, wasn't it? Yeah. What a great job of representation that was. Well yeah. done, Disney. Yeah. And they and it almost like went... Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Hmm. Didn't like my tone here when I was listening back. When my dander's got up, I uh, <laughs> and I'm getting snarky about one of these things, it makes me sound a bit aggressive, I think. And here I'm sounding pretty hostile about something that I'm told is a historic queer rep moment. And that is not a good look. But I was sure I remembered being salty about it for the right reason. So I've just gone and checked the scene again. And... It, uh, Look, I'm a straight guy watching it, maybe my perspective's off, but to me, it seems like the film makes a punchline, first out of the three angry mob men getting humiliated by being dressed in women's clothes, exactly like the original film. Like, two of them look down at themselves and scream and run away, utterly defeated, while the wardrobe calls them Pretty little boys, yeah! And then, a second punchline is that one of them actually likes it, and he does a big grin, and he does a bit of a twirl, while the wardrobe is shouting in as comedy a voice as she can muster. So the problem there to me is that it's pitching it like a joke, but then claiming it as progressive. And that can be done, but not with a cheap shot like this. It has to be done better. So I hope if anyone else took umbrage with my tone there and assumed the worst, hopefully I've justified it a bit there. Later, when we were altogether sleepier and I was reading through my remaining chronological notes, I think I put it a bit better. It went like this. They carefully walk the line between making it a funny joke and a moment of queer rep so that they absolutely don't have to pick one. Yeah. And the build-up to it is so long and needless and just that whole scene shouldn't be in it and it's only there because a man ended up in the dress in the original and that's it. Yeah, agreed. I will be, we covered that earlier yeah, as well. Yeah, we did. But yeah, back to me when I had a massive Mardi on about it, apparently. That was insult. That was insulting. Yeah. And that was the same guy and that... Yeah, that was it. <laughs> because that... Being dressed as a woman and finding you like it, yeah. that's not gay. <laughs> that's a different thing. It is a different thing. Bigots yeah. think it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what... <laughs> so yeah, I can see how that is the moment. Yeah. But it doesn't qualify. No, it doesn't. It's not an exclusive game. And, but here's the thing, and here's why I bring it up as, as part of the... This is... That may feel like a separate issue to the to the uh, to the character of LeFou. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is that when I was listening to these interviews, yeah, which were mostly done um, a bit earlier, I think they were done like before the film came out. Yeah, nobody says they bring this topic up, but nobody says uh, exclusively gay moment. That phrase doesn't come up. Yeah, the phrase that comes up is first openly gay Disney character. Yeah, which he's not. He's not. He's not openly... He might be gay. He's not openly gay. Yeah. If anything, he's incredibly closetedly gay. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. So, <laughs> what am I missing here? Was something cut or... Because that's not unlikely, right? That after the test screening, the execs would have got nervous and cut something. So, maybe. No, that... Look, I know how the marketing game works in that regard. Yeah. They wouldn't have talked about it in that way. Yeah. If it wasn't, not. if it wasn't, in- so that. But it, nevertheless, it's still a question mark. What did they mean? How, how they thought that that is an exclusively gay moment? Not he's not an openly gay character. No, and by it, no definition. And and here's the thing: a version of yeah. LeFou, not quite this version, but a version of LeFou would have been a great candidate to be the first openly gay one because, yeah. like, there is a ver- and and you know, write this in your heads kindly, please. <laughs> there is a version where. LeFou is 
just openly in love with Gaston. Yes. And Gaston is villainous for stringing him along. And, yeah. And, like, that, there's a version of that where that could work perfectly well. Yeah. This isn't that version. This LeFou is mean and he's... Except for... And, and that was why I was so impressed with the moment when Belle is in trouble and he goes and gets uh, Gaston. Because up until that moment, mm-hmm. he'd seemed like he'd been, you know, like going like, you know, hands off, ladies. Yeah. It's never gonna happen, ladies. Like, again, it's a bit carry-on. It's a bit of a, a bad, old-fashioned gay stereotype that I, the, the first openly gay Disney character... Sure, if if that's good representation, shouldn't be an example of. I can't accuse them of doing yeah. that on purpose because yeah. that would suggest that they thought their decisions through. Exactly, and they haven't. Yeah, it certainly helped by the fact that now I know the director was gay and therefore wouldn't have those same, you know, go to. But he seems to. He seems to have the one about cross dressing. Yeah, I think that was. The way I looked at that is, uh-huh. I think it was supposed to have been a subversion of the joke. I know, uh, yes. And it was meant to have been, I think it was meant to read positively. I think so, yeah. Like, I think it was meant to read as a sort of... I just don't think it does. I don't think it does. Especially where it's placed in the film, and yeah, that he's yeah. just one of the random that mob he's people. Mob people. He's yeah. a bad person. He's one of the bad guys. And yeah. like, I think it was meant to be a sort of like... We had this joke in the original, but yeah. now, he, he, you know, we're flipping on its head and showing, yeah. like, actually, yeah. this guy's owning it kind of thing. Yeah, that's what it was supposed to that be. That was what it was supposed to be. And then by offhandedly in 0.25 seconds setting him up with a man, yes. it, like one second before the end of the film, it was supposed to show that, like, no, look, see, we didn't consider this guy a yeah. bad guy. And now that, like, he's, he's found himself. It's great. So is he meant to be the openly gay character they were referring to? Like, surely not. I know, but it's all surely not, isn't it? Surely yeah. not is the, the phrase looping in your head as you watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was just an absolute... I'm doing well at being very nice and kind to this <laughs> film, aren't I? <laughs> But they just they just balls so much of it up is yeah. the problem. Like and that's a great example of it. And yeah. Exactly. Yes. Here we are trying to as I said before figure out extrapolate what they meant from moment to moment in this film by the sto- by their version of the story of yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yeah. What did you mean? The slightest image movement delivery of a line always I was watching this film going okay what did you mean by that? Yeah. Because I don't just know. I have to figure it out. Yeah. By taking into account, you know, who you're talking to, who made the film, what it's supposed to be, instead of just of watching a film. Yeah. Films are supposed to... Films, really well-made films, yeah. you never have to ask any questions while you're watching them. Unless yeah. that's the, the deliberate... Point. yeah. 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 Fil- you, you're, never, you're never going, what do yeah. you mean by that? Unless that's the point. It's so difficult to put this together because, I mean, it's difficult even just to to establish what you mean when you say that a film should be a coherent thing and everything fit together and it carry along. Because if someone hasn't seen a film that's as good as that, they might watch this film and go like, what do you mean? The lines all tell the story in the order. What you <laughs> but this is a film that is guaranteed... That everyone who is interested in seeing it has seen a film yes. that is better than this. Yes. Telling, actually, a very similar story to yes. this one. Yeah. 
And this film doesn't really exist to do anything other than to be merchandise of that film. And I think at some point it might have intended to spin the story, Mm -hmm. uh, spin the points of it in some different way. But I'll be damned if I can work out what it is. Because it's like you say, they've made choices. I can't add up what those choices mean because the maths don't seem to make any sense. The original story was one of, yeah, a dreamer being the person to kind of bring this bring this broken person back together yeah. you know and like people discovering that true beauty lies within etc mm. by adding in all of this stuff you know that like okay no bell isn't a dreamer she's actually pretty like business minded yeah. what does that then mean yeah does that mean a different thing now yeah did she go on a journey by falling for a fairy tale prince yeah is Can she it... still the same character at the end or not yeah is this like a, you know, like what they did in with like Idina Menzel's character in Enchanted, where she was, you know, like you had two, you had like Amy Adams's character who was like the quintessential Disney princess who learns to be a bit more real, and then you, you had Idina Menzel's character who was quite a business-like woman, and then she sort of realizes she needs a little bit more fairy tale in her life yeah. which is why she ends up going off with the fairy tale prince yeah. is that storyline what we were yeah. watching with emma watson's bell here yeah because if it was i didn't quite get that but i also didn't get beauty and the beast from it either so i don't know what i watch yeah this version of bell her place in the castle would be as like the accountant or something like she's yeah, you know I mean, she'd have well, no, no, actually, because she'd 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 make the clock because she's just as good at that. There yeah. are so many things put on this character that you go, okay, and cool, why? Yeah, and then the answer is no, 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 don't say why. It's just Beauty and the Beast. I know, but it isn't. It isn't. Um, the Beast does not have Beauty within. Um, no, he doesn't have that character. With, I don't know. That's you know that that wasn't the Beauty's found within yeah. point of it, but. It's part of it. He's one of the many things in the film where there's the dichotomy between how it looks and how it is on the inside. Yeah. The film is... The, the, the real film is yeah. full of those. Nearly yeah. everything in it is one of those. Yeah. Very few things in this are because they're all, they all turn out not to quite work. And in no. the case of him, he looks better than he is inside. Yeah. His outer appearance is better than his inner appearance, than his inner self. And that's wrong. And it's like... And he doesn't really change that much, no. even. He's always a kind of dickish <laughs> guy who, if pushed, can do decent things. Yeah, if he and but the decent things he can do are like again on paper. Like if he finds out what the set of actions is required from him, maybe you can bully him into doing them. Yeah, but it wouldn't be because he's kind, and yeah. it wouldn't be because he. You know, even including like at the points in the film where it's supposed to be, that side of him doesn't come out. And I just feel like he's still that at the end of the film. Yeah. I don't know what this new story is. No. Because it's not quite... It doesn't quite function as Beauty and the Beast anymore, but it's also not anything new. And were you going to say something about the way that the story concludes that... It's it's no not the way it concludes. This is one of the changes that they've made, and they also had to do this for the um, stage show. Uh, well, didn't have to, but they did. Mm. Which is the the breakout scene in the original film where Chip bring uh, you know he operates Maurice's machine, yeah. and like hacks them out of the little basement area, and they're able to to go. This is the point in the film where they wanted to give Belle this big feminist moment, right? And yeah, she rides around on the horse. 
I can't remember what exact details of the the newly reconstructed uh, plot leads to this. But yeah. In this version, Gaston puts Maurice in the cart. Yeah. And he says to him, not to Belle in this version, that if you give me your daughter's hand in marriage, yeah, then I'll set you free. It used yeah. to be a deal he was striking with Belle. Yeah. So this takes what is a dramatic moment from the original film, yeah, in which this, you know, new villain and our hero go head to head. Yeah. And instead, it removes it by one place, which reduces first reduces the drama by giving it to what now amounts to two side characters. Yeah. But what's more, it makes Belle's hand in marriage a transaction between two men. Yeah. Even if one of them protects her by turning the other one down, yeah. this new feminist plus version yeah. of Belle doesn't have a say in this anymore, whereas previously she did. Oh, yeah. Before Jasmine. Yeah. And if... Do you see what I mean? And that was yeah. one of the things they had to fix about Jasmine. Yeah. Um, if this was the only version of the film, yeah. then someone who, who, who doesn't agree with the agency argument could say that, well, Belle isn't here, so what agency could she possibly have? It makes total sense. But we've already seen a version of this same story where she was here, which proves, and you can extrapolate this out not just in this film, but other films as well, the, that the only reasons this character isn't here now is that the film has taken away the agency from the character and decided she won't have it. Yeah. And I think that, again, I think that ends up being an artifact of... Um... Well, it, it it's changed, and it it's changed to that way because of a stupid change they made, and it also doesn't make sense because of another stupid yeah. change they made. It's like, it's an artifact of their decision to make Maurice not infirm. Yeah. Not ill at that moment. Yeah. Not having his sanity in question yeah. in any really compelling way. So, at that in point... Fact, quite a fierce mind. Yeah. And at that point then, I suppose it would make sense for sexist Gaston yeah. to default to asking him if he sees yeah. him as the man in the transaction. Yeah. Logically makes sense. Except Gaston isn't sexist anymore. Right. <laughs> And if he is, if, you know, sometimes he yeah. is, but not to the extent of Gaston. Yeah. That's not his defining character trait anymore. So, you see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> now, and that just is such a good bit. And then, and, and it is around there, yeah. just after that, that you get the moment where they try and go like, ah, no, because Belle's an inventor. So she comes up with the idea that her, her pretty hairpin from being pretty yeah. is, is what they're going to use to escape. And yeah. it's like, well, okay, there's... there. Maybe that I'd have to think so hard to figure out if that's good. Yeah, and it shouldn't. I shouldn't have to with Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Oh, jeez! I was about to wrap up the story stuff, (laughs) and then I remembered. (laughs) I remembered the magic book. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, where do you even start? I know where you start. Okay. You start by establishing it earlier. <laughs> it so comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's out of nowhere. It's, it's, I'll tell you what it's like. Yeah. It's like, well, no, I'm going to take it a, a step aside. It's like Morning Report added into the line. Yeah, thing. yeah. Because, and we'll talk about the scene <laughs> that was added into Beauty and the Beast later. But yeah. it's like you've taken... A thing that doesn't go here. Yeah. And you've put it there. Yeah. And now you have to, like, try and tweak the frames before and after it to make it make sense that it's there. Yeah. Like, that... There's never been any mention of a magic book 
The beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. Apart from a book. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose. There was that book as well. Until he- Never been any mention of that. And then suddenly it's like, I guess for some reason we're going to come up with a bit of extra story about yeah. Belle's backstory yeah. now and why their their life is the way it is. So we will have a magic portal that teleports you. you. And we won't <laughs> ever quite establish what it is. So yeah. it'll be a surprise that you can go there. Yeah. It'll be a surprise. Well, we'll never... I, I'm... I never. I don't think you ever quite find out when you're there. Like, is it yeah. right now? Is it modern day and the, the whole place has been shut up because of the plague for these whole... Like, how many years it's been? Yeah. Or is it... Are they back in time? Yeah. They could be. It's tricky to tell. Yeah. And I don't... Now, I could have just not been looking here, but I do not remember the film establishing that you can take things back through the book. But she does. She presents a locket that oh, she yeah. took from there later. And yeah. you go, oh, I guess you could take... And it's... It's not that far a stretch that once you can go through, you know, you've still got your clothes on or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, okay, you can take things back. But I didn't know that. So when she just produces it and she says, oh, yeah, like, mammon. Yeah. And she says the word mammon, the only French <laughs> anywhere in the film. So it sounds like she's saying mammal and referring to her mum as mammal. Yeah. Um, Which presumably she was. Yeah. Um, here's this locket. and you, And so, again, in that moment, you're like, Oh, it's that you can bring things through there. Yeah. Maybe that, and I, and I think I perhaps came across as being a little bit too finickety about the rules of magic when we were talking about Frozen. Yeah. But it's because of that sort of moment. When when you are surprised with, you were supposed to know that you can do this. Yeah. And you go, oh, uh, I can quickly accept that you could do that. But there is that, oh, and suddenly yeah. I'm, it's just a bit of immersion breaking, that's yeah. all. Um, yeah. But also, so. <laughs> like, what? Why, though? I mean, like... Yeah. Why the story beat? Yeah. Why the explanation for the story beat? Why introduce that Yeah. completely, like, stake-altering piece of magical technology yeah. that you then never use or mention again? Yeah. Why like, didn't the beast just go and live somewhere else? Yeah. Why, when her father was in trouble, did the beast not be like, why don't you teleport there using this magic book I have that I showed you? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Like... (laughs) Yeah. In fact, this whole thing, surely, would have... Why didn't they just make it that the magic mirror can take you to where you're looking at? I don't know. The magic mirror's already in the plot. Actually and literally, why not? Let's work it out. Because... Why not? Because... There, because, right, there's nothing about the book that needs to be a book later. There's nothing about the book that he... He doesn't use it when she's got the mirror in the village. No. So... He doesn't use it ever again. Doesn't use it ever again. So why not just be that you can step through the magic mirror? Because, frankly, that would have been a way to get her to go back to the village. And yeah. It, I don't think it would have... There are ways in which that could have broken the story, but just have her materialise around the back of the house or something. It would know, have been fine. Yeah. And it's all there. In service of explicating this bit of backstory about Belle, that it's like... That doesn't... It's not a mystery. Like, this mis- they set it up yeah. as a mystery of, like, why don't you tell me what happened to Mammon? <laughs> and Maurice is like, oh, no, I can't tell you what happened to her. Yeah. And then an hour later, you get the answer. She, she died. died. Yeah. It's like, 
of well, what uh, you know, uh, what we can ex- a way of saying it is natural causes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she died of a thing that people in that time massively died of regularly, died a lot and of. it was normal. It was completely normal. Yeah. It's like I'm like. It's not a secret. Like, she would have been... Everything about life in the town, yeah. everyone would have had people who died in the plague, right? Like, yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, my yeah, my husband died in the plague. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that would have been a good sort of men in black flashy thing explanation for what happened when half of the people they've ever met disappeared yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, the plague. The plague. And that would have been a yeah. reason. That would have justified why they had this scene in. Or, but, well, not justified, but you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It would have fed into it. It would yeah. have kind of balanced it. It would have made it feel like that was a piece of the fabric yeah. of the film if the plague is a going thing but yeah. what's never explained is why he doesn't tell her it's not like it's yeah. she didn't do anything wrong no. it's not a, a family embarrassment yeah there's no reason and 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 another thing is just structurally speaking and thematically speaking nothing is missing from bell either in her own understanding of herself or ours that is then heals this is the, the final jigsaw piece yeah. to explain yeah so oh, where's my mom or to heal yeah but no, she's she died. She obviously. died. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it's and I don't. I never got the sense that she didn't think she died. Yeah, it, it was just what what of. Yeah, and the answer is just one of the things. Yeah, like what? What was the story going to have been if she got like bitten by a pig and it got infected? <laughs> like, what, what would the story difference have been there? Yeah. Also, the scene, you know having that scene gives rise to one of my least favorite lines in uh, the entire film. You know the one? The, the tourism joke? Yeah. Yeah. Again. I don't think it... it I, I, I can't name what is, but I don't think it's my least favourite, but it's certainly the one that's like... It really shows you that they don't mind putting in stuff that doesn't go. Yeah. The scene, and but particularly that line. It yeah. is like the, uh, the pop culture references in yeah. Lion King or something. It's, yeah. It's a, pop, it's a kind of a pop culture it reference. It is, yeah, yeah. And yes, it's a fourth it's, wall breaking modern yeah. reference. And yeah, you can presumably there was such a thing as quote unquote tourism from a neighboring town to Paris in those days. Sure. But the phrase too touristy. Yeah. No. No. No, no, no. It's it's like the increasingly tiresome, even though at the time perfectly acceptable, uh, tweeting joke in Moana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, you know, it was like, yeah, all right, cool. But now I'm like, eh, come on. Yeah. They don't have that. That's a joke outside the film. And this is a joke outside the film in a film whose statement is, what if this really happened? And I think, but Moana gets away with it because it's a bit more flippant. And it's The Rock, who's a god who's come out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a film where... where Much of, like when Robin Williams as a genie came out of nowhere. Exactly. And it's not like he's even the only aspect of Moana that's like yeah. that. Then later on, they meet a big crab who sings like David Bowie. Yeah. But this is the and thing... And mentions Sebastian. The, this film does have plenty of these moments in it. Not so much fourth wall break... Well, you know, not exactly fourth wall breaking or pop culture reference, but there are loads... Reality of, breaking. Yeah, there are yeah. loads of times when, the, the particularly the enchanted objects... Yeah. I think, it's mo- I think it's only them. Joke with each other in ways where that joke has no reality here. Yeah. And it only exists as part of the film Beauty and the Beast for this audience. Yeah. Which you... I'm trying to think if they do that in the original and, and I, therefore... I watched it this morning yeah. and I don't think it The does. closest there is to that is Promises You Don't Intend to Keep. And that's yeah. not one. That's just like something someone then could have said but that people in the audience kind of go like... <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not reality-breaking in the way that a lot of the stuff in this film is. Maybe if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Maybe, but, but even there... Yeah. If, yeah. Like, that's a 
that is a sentence. Even if that wasn't like a well-known phrase, it's a sentence that passes in the English language. Yeah, not definitely tied to a particular time, and it does function as a pun. And that's a genuinely good joke. And it's a good joke. Yeah. And David Ogden Spires is there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, getting it right. Yeah. The um, I remember Linda Wolverton, uh-huh. who obviously wrote the screenplay for the original film. And yes, not this one. Ah, I was wondering. Yeah, uh, she was quite critical of the magic was book she? thing. <laughs> she was just like, I think that breaks the law of the story yeah. a little bit. It's like it doesn't. And the thing is, it's it really is a final straw because there's yeah. so much that's harder to put in words why it counts as a breaking point and then here's one that just no it is yeah let's go to town on it it's yeah. no wonder that everyone really really just dunked on this thing the other thing story-wise actually not as big as the magic book okay. thing but what could be yeah the enchantress business ah yeah why what was yeah. the point of that yeah, you, the mean, fact that, you mean the bit that where she turns up again at the end? To well, the, and the fact that the she ho- hovers around at the periphery of the story past the prologue. Oh God, I'd forgotten. Yeah. She's that woman, isn't she? Is just a random woman in town. Yes. Randomly saves Maurice. From his random trap he's in. From the random trap he's in. In a way that only makes sense an hour later yeah. when you reveal that Because that's... we don't know who that is. Yeah. Like, okay, let's punch up the script a little bit. Right? Yeah. What if earlier on Maurice is already interacting with this woman? Yeah. And Belle being young maybe has an edge of her that takes that as something of an affront to her mum. Yeah. And from there, and I don't know exactly what it is, but we have a bridge to her asking about her mum. Yeah. And it being a big damn deal to her who she is. Yeah. And to get Maurice to talk about her. Yeah, yeah. There's a story there, right? Could have yeah. done that. Ain't perfect, but it would have worked. Introduces the other woman Introduces earlier. The flipping woman who. Yeah. So this is the thing. Gaston has just... So, we've had the bit where Gaston, after Crazy Old Maurice, has gone like, actually, fair enough, I will come and help you in the woods. Yeah. He helps him in the woods and just out of nowhere snaps when Maurice says you will never... Weirdly confrontationally, actually, he's like, you will never marry my daughter. That's no way to talk to my future father-in-law now, is it? Future father-in-law. You will never marry my daughter. Do you see what it like? It could have been angled as like, hold your horses, let's get, let's see what Bell thinks about this. Yeah, that's not put across. It's just like no. you will never. He punches him. Yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. LeFou goes. I saw that coming. And we go. I didn't. Yeah. And then he ties him up to be literally eaten by wolves. That's what Gaston says he's tying him up for. Yeah. If Maurice won't give me his blessing, then he is in my way. Once the wolves have finished with him, Belle will have no one to take care of her but me. There'll be nothing, there'll be no one left to stand between me and Belle. And then, sorry, I was doing an appropriate cast on voice. Yeah, again. I know, I was, yeah, that's was, a real mistake. Dial back from that. And then, out of nowhere, yeah. someone, some rando, <laughs> comes and rescues him and he says, oh, hello, and says her name like they're mates. Yeah. Can't remember her name. Agnes, was it, or something like that? I don't know. The, Agatha? I'm, Agatha. I'm hesitating in case it was Abigail. <laughs> I think it was Agatha. It was or, an A name, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So let's say Agatha. Uh, all right, Agatha. And, yeah. you, and we go, no, 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 no. I do need to know, before this, who Agatha is, if I'm supposed to believe that she's a main enough character to do this and for it to be fine. Now, is she the one who we did see earlier outside Belle's house in the Madame Gaston scene. Where Gaston just 
ejaculates to her and is like, you don't end up like crazy old Agatha. Do Does you? he say Agatha if that's her? Think, yeah, yeah. Right. She is identified by name okay. at that point. So, so then, But that's not enough. No. Technically, she's set up. Again, I refer, I've mentioned it before. That is a Stay Puft Marshmallow. Technically, it was there. <laughs> but I do not think it was enough to establish the big twist later on. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Like, it honestly, wasn't enough to establish the um, rescuing Maurice from the woods scene. Well, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Oh, I, I thought you meant yeah. it to... Uh, oh, the I'm not even going near that. Yeah. Nowhere near does it justify that. Yeah. But yeah, no, the rescuing Maurice from the woods. I needed to know who that was for, yeah. the, for the weight of that scene and for the way that it completely... The story... A thousand percent changes unless that scene happens. It's, yeah. it's a pivotal scene in yeah. some ways, and so I need to know who that is, especially given like given the nature of the way the this film is otherwise very like rigidly faithful to the original movie. At the point where like Gaston's taken Maurice out, punched him out, tied him to a yeah. tree or whatever, the audience is hyper scrutinizing that yeah. story strand because they're like. This is new. I don't know what this is. Where's this going? Yeah. So they're paying extra attention to that piece of story. And also, just on a smaller level, even if it hadn't been quite as story changing as that, yeah. this is an earlier time for Gaston to switch to villain mode. Yeah, yeah. Full on villain mode. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't try to kill anyone in that, at that point in the original film. No, nowhere near. He shoots a duck. That's it. I mean, Gaston never tries to kill what. He, he rec- recognizes as a human being. As a human yeah. being, yeah. exactly, yeah. And so this Gaston is less redeemable than the original, but also like more so because it kind of feels like he's just maybe mentally disturbed rather yeah. than like just. It, in- it really becomes a question. Like, yeah, it kind of becomes like: Are we watching this story about like you know toxic masculinity and entitlement, or is this like a sort of like? first blood type story yeah. about like you know how war vets and stuff yeah. get mistreated by society no, and end up no, going exactly. crazy and it is and like we both we're both kind of joking about that but it is yeah that is the question raised here yeah it really is and it and the answer seems to be <laughs> like there isn't an answer no. it's just another one of those things that yeah i think you're just supposed to take as a momentary gag that punch i it's kind of supposed to be funny because they because even though it's a totally real, like, oh my god, it then has, like, saw that coming at the end of it. And yeah. it's like a joke. Yeah. There was some, we've already gone past it now, but I'll put it in when I hear it because I'll recognize it. We've already gone past something else that's another example of what I was referring to earlier as supposed to come off as a joke in the moment, but fundamentally changes the story of the whole film. I think I mean LeFou paying people to sing Gaston in the pub. This is one of them. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But that, all of that then ends up adding up. Yeah. To that thing with the Enchantress at the end. Yeah. And I'm just... I'm scratching my head as to what the point is. Yeah. Like, if you've not seen it, instead of, like, she falls in love with the beast... And that, breaks, and that should break the spell. Yeah. She's too late. Yeah. And everyone... He dies and everyone turns back into an object. Right, yeah. And More then, on that in a minute. And then... The Enchantress just turned from the beginning just turns up again. Yeah. And it's just like, lol, no. Yeah. And it turns what should have been a, what should have been and was a, oh, the stakes have resolved in the way that we always set them up to be resolved. Yeah. It's a, no, it didn't. Yeah. But don't worry, here's a Deus Ex Machina. Exactly. Now, I, at first, watching that bit, 
when the last petal fell and she hadn't yet said it, yeah. my initial reaction was actually positive because, like we talked about this with Cinderella, yeah. it was this moment of like, oh, they have irrevocably changed the thing we were relying on it to be. Yeah, here we go. We're about to have a. But you see, sir, I have the other slipper. Yeah, it's gonna something is gonna happen that's gonna be amazing. Yeah. It isn't. No. Instead, it's just like the enchantress was there whole time, even though. Like, I don't remember Agatha really being there, but she was there, and so she, you know, changes her mind and goes, oh, okay, I'll turn you back. But the thing is, yeah, that is not inherently a bad version of the story Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So they they fall in love, the the prince redeems himself, and the enchantress goes, you know what, okay, you can go back, you've redeemed yourself, I'm now fine with this. Yeah. That's our version of the story. But this version of the story, the Disney version of the story, made it into a very explicit equation. And and, and a, maybe I've not paid enough attention. Did they cut out the lines like, that should break this spell? I feel like I, they didn't. And I feel like no, they I mean, had established that, yeah. that he's supposed to fall in love before the last petal falls. Yeah, that's like the whole story. Right. And I, But I can't remember if they say it in this or if I'm carrying it over from my knowledge of Beauty and the Beast. No, I'm, I, again, as we discussed, yeah. we didn't rewatch it directly before this, but it's in there. It's got to be in I'm there. going to tell you. And if it there. isn't, that's such a significant change that they should have made it clearer that it isn't. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, they don't, break, they don't break the spell in this version. And, no. And, well, they might not, because he's horrible. <laughs> he's horrible, and she's just... Frankly... He, do you know what? Actually, yeah. He didn't get her to love him before the last petal fell. He didn't break the spell. He, it is correct that he should die. Yeah. <laughs> He's a horrible man. Yeah. And frankly, she was, in this version, probably only there from Stockholm Syndrome anyway. Probably. So she needs to just move on, get some counselling, presumably not from the same person who counselled Gaston. Yeah. And then, like, run for president in 20, 30 years. Yeah. Move out. Yeah. Get out of that town. Yeah. You, it, you're more than capable. Yeah. You, they hate you and you hate them. Yeah. And you are a skilled craftswoman. <laughs> yeah. Right? Who can just... And if... Look, maybe there are other provincial towns. I don't know. As I understand it, the politics of France at the time do not line up with this film. But let's yeah. pretend they do. Yeah. Take your dad with you. Yeah. He'll be the he'll be the craftsman, but long into his infirm years, you can be doing the real work. Yeah, and then exactly. by the time it'll just you know, people will be like, Oh yeah, that's Belle, she's great. Yeah. Like what a be- what better name for a clockmaker than Belle? Yeah, right, exactly. Off to Paris. Cause you it- may find <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like sure it's not adventure in the Great Wide somewhere. No, but it kind but- of is. But also you very transparently don't want that. Yeah. Like I say, you want to be running a successful, yeah. small to medium-sized enterprise. As within, evidenced by the within fact. five to ten years. <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that when she sings her I Want Adventure in the Great Wide somewhere, she sings it with as much volume and energy as, and for once it might be grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's all very, very quiet and subdued, and soon we'll be talking about the music in this. Should we talk about the music now? Let's talk about the music now. Not good. Not good. That isn't all we'll say about it, mind you, but what about the music in the original? 
Of course, not everyone can be the exact right age where all their opinions are automatically correct, so our youth correspondent Ewan will now, in the interest of balance, be allowed more time to explain why he didn't fawn over the original masterpiece the way we, who happen to have been about the right age at the time it was released, are certain is appropriate. And you might recall we cut the last episode just as he was about to tell us what the opening song, Bell, is exactly like. Remember? He said, What this song was to me <laughs> was exactly, exactly Scrooge from Muppet Christmas oh Carol. My God. This song is exactly the same as that song. It, it's the townsfolk singing about a protagonist that they think is a bit odd. Yep. He's not, uh, he slash she <laughs> is not noticing as they're walking through. Yep. And r- right down to the beat at the end where they all stop singing yep. and the protagonist turns, turns around. around. Yeah. And they they all scatter. It's the exact same song. You're right. And that's kind of a scandal. Muppets Christmas Carol was two years later, I want to say. And I never put it together. But yeah, you're right. They completely ripped off Bell wholesale. That has genuinely blown my mind. It was one year later. It was 1992, according to this. Wow. You're so right. It's even got not quite the same, but a similar sort of rhythm to it as well. Uh (laughs) You're so right. Who wrote the songs for that? Songs written by Paul Williams, the one who wrote the songs to the Muppet movie. He's the guy who wrote yeah, Rainbow yeah. Connection and he's ripping off Howard and yeah. Allen. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was weird too when I looked at it. Like when I last watched Muppet Christmas Carol, I was like, wait, Paul Williams? <laughs> he must have been made to do that. There's no way that that wasn't an executive message. Like, because Beauty and the Beast did so well. <laughs> They must have gone like, right, yeah, we need the opening from Beauty and the Beast for this Muppets film. Well, and as you're saying, if this was as monumentous a thing of people going, wait, we can do Broadway in in kids' movies like this now, then I can see them going like, wait, okay, so the Muppets movies are musicals, yeah. but now we can make them like proper musicals instead of just movies with songs in. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say. I think Muppets Christmas Carol was probably the first one that sort of embraced that sense of what a musical is as opposed to just you know singing rainbow connection randomly the other song that reminded me of another song was be our guest because if you listen to the way that be our guest starts it's be our guest be our guest put our service to the test which is the same as les poissons And it's also sung by Lumiere, so it's still full of all the Frenchisms that Les Poissons is full of. And in the podcast that this will be attached to, me and Jahan talk about how much better René Aubergenois would have been as Lumiere than Ewan McGregor (laughs) in the new movie. Ooh. Uh... (laughs) It was Ewan McGregor. <laughs> He's uh, so bad. I, I'd be quite interested. To, I think you should watch the live action remake now and see if... Because imagine if you really like it. Yeah, no, that, I was thinking that watching the movie because there were lots of bits where I was like, I'm checked out of this right now. If this were Ian McKellen, I would not be as checked out of this right now. <laughs> or like... It, if this was a location that like had more things in it just because it exists so it has to, then I would have more to look you at right now. You are the Rosetta Stone of this film because 
That is exactly what the live-action Beauty and the Beast is. It is like, hey, what more shit can we dump into this setting to explain it? And us oldies are going like, you don't need to explain it. It's a love story. I don't need to know the origin of the fiefdom that they live in. Maybe that's just a generational thing. Maybe you'll really like it. Oh, boy. But yeah, I was wondering if I would like the live-action movie better. And part of it was that they've got the structure down. The story is very basic, but it's still janky. And it's weird to me that... It's held up as this success of the structure, this paradigm in its ideal form that we will now imitate in our own movies and everyone else will imitate them in their movies. And it's so janky and weird <laughs> and not quite right in this. I mean, I'm I'm spitting males here. I, can't, I don't know if any of them are reaching Canada and going straight in your eyes. I hope they are. <laughs> <laughs> And so, while me and Jahan research whether it's possible to do a Brexit from Canada, let's go back to the recording, because yes, it's time to discuss the songs of the Beauty and the Beast remake. What a treat! What a big treat! What a treat! Okay. Hey, listeners. Oh, God. I'm eating a tea cake. This is the rattly noise yeah. of the tea cake. Um, you, you see, you've got, to, like, you've got to make a song and dance out of it. Like, I've eaten, I, I think, know. three of those tea cakes well during done. this podcast. Well, was it silent or not? We'll find out. Well, yeah, I suppose we will. But, uh, yeah, I've got up and walked around and refilled my cup. This is, they, they know what's going on. Yeah. The stereo effect makes it all right. It's how they feel like they're in the living room with us, you know. Um, That's what you said when we recorded the Aladdin podcast on the way back. Oh, I was right. That, that it was going to be an immersive VR yeah. experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, stand by that. <laughs> it was. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> um, anyway. Music. So, first off, and I've, I've already mentioned it, but first off, the, the auto-tune in this film is egregious. Yeah. To the point where it feels like an experiment. It feels yeah. like... You know how... And we were talking about this with the, with the Lion King. Um, how in the motion capture days, it was like... What, to what extent will the audience accept yeah. an actor playing something they're not? I almost feel like this was... To what extent will people accept people singing who can't? Yeah. Accept. That was what I thought. I now have to completely throw away any notion I had of, like, basically, I took it to mean that this amount of auto-tune meant Emma Watson can't sing. Yeah. But now I know that, you know, they'll put it on Naomi Scott. Yeah, yeah, and she very visibly could sing, yeah. So, who knows? Yeah. And it's not as if it has the effect of making them sound like they can sing. It has the effect of making it sound like they've been through auto-tune. Yeah, I just... Is this just a style thing? But the thing is, though, like, Naomi Scott, the... The reason that we know she can sing is because it, that was very clear through the auto-tune. Yes. Whereas with Emma Watson, it's a thin voice. Well, that's the thing. That's what you can't hide. It's the power of the voice. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not satisfied with anyone in this film, apart from maybe, you know, Josh Gad and Luke Evans, scant though the evidence here is, yeah. who can, like, stage sing, who can sit Well, no, not stage sing, film sing. Yeah. Perform a song. Yeah, um, that is a skill, and you do need power behind your voice. I can't do it, and I think that I'm, you know, I can sing in key. Yeah, but I can't do what I'm talking about here. It's a skill that some people have, and you cast those people. Yes, in these parts. Yeah, Naomi Scott could have done Belle. Like there's or any of the people who were in The Lion King could have. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like it, like maybe not Seth Rogen, but. <laughs> I don't know to what extent we're going to talk about the songs as a, as a block or if we're going to talk about them individually. I still I mean, things... There's general themes about yeah, There them. are, and I have things to say about Be Our Guest in particular. So yeah. there's, there's something I'm going to talk about 
to do with this when we when we move on to the the new song, the one that you named earlier, and I've already forgotten the name. There's of. a few new songs, aren't there? But the one that we talked about in the sun. Yes. Yeah. There's something about auto tune there, which no, I'll I'll say it now. The boy who sings in that, who is the most auto tuned person in the whole film, <laughs> yes, definitely can sing. Right. I yeah. don't know who he. I've not seen him in anything else, <clears throat> but I know for a fact. This is what I'm going to talk about later. That they reshot that song have it, and cast a child who this time could sing. Oh, so for that level of auto tune to be on his voice, and he just sounds like a robot. Yeah, it's not because he can't sing. So why is it? Is it to make everyone sound? Is it that Emma Watson can't sing? She needed to be able to, so they wanted to make everyone sound like that. Yeah, that would be insane, <laughs> meaningless, <laughs> senseless. So. Yeah. So so maybe it's just the style. This is something I wondered about when... Do you remember I said in the Lion King one yeah, that I'd yeah. come to believe that that was just, that was just the how, style. how these things are done these mm. days. And yeah, Lion King showed that it isn't. Yep. And Aladdin in particular showed that it was very unnecessary. Yep. And I want to have... By the way, I have another... I have a previous stepping stone along that journey which I want to mention, which is that the, the filmed version of the production of Jesus Christ Superstar that you saw that had Tim Minchin in. Yeah. They auto-tuned Tim Minchin. Oh. Maybe maybe a couple of other people, but it's not the prevailing... It's only in Tim Minchin's voice that you can hear the auto-tune. If we go to And the thing is, A, he can sing, that's his career. Yeah. B, Judas the character is a screechy... Like, there's a lot of, like... You know, yeah. not singing, singing involved in that character. And they auto-tune that. Yeah. So nobody, and Tim spoke out against this, uh-huh. nobody knows why they did it. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just the style. But it's bad. <laughs> oh, a cool dude just went past. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm very overwhelmed by how cool the dude he was, but let's see if we can carry on. Um... Yeah, that's it. Like it's uh, it's not one of those things where, as with you know, like with the Lion King, I or films of that ilk, I was giving credit for like, yeah, but what you're trying there could really add up to something mm. interesting in future. I mean, look, hey, maybe this could add up to something interesting in future where it's like literally you just press a button and suddenly everyone in the world has the most angelic, yeah, you know, like Elaine Page, Colm Wilkinson quality <laughs> voices in the world. Could do. And to be honest, that's genuinely possible. Like that, yeah. that, that could well happen. But yeah. don't in this film. It's it, well, it's horrible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know why they did it. But the problem is, is not just horrible because of the auto tune. Like no, no. Auto- I, just, I wanted to mention the yeah. auto tune, but now auto tune was used because yeah. none of these people were right for their songs. Yeah, and the auto tune does not help no any of it it doesn't cover it and i'm talking and, and people who i ewan mcgregor again yep it, this isn't someone who hasn't so it's not someone who can't sing with a capital c and s yeah but when you hear that last like ghost <laughs> 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 it's awful and that's yeah. with the auto-tune presumably yeah yeah i just accent wise like you said, Emma Thompson and Ewan McGregor are the worst. Yeah. And they're worst in their songs. Yeah. Be Our Guest is destroyed by it. Yep. And, like, God, Be Our Guest was not a fun bit of that film to revisit. No. Because it was like, I had mistakenly remembered from the cinema 
The oh, be our guest. I remember be our guest was basically all right. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No, it really it's not. It's not at all. It's no, and it features the film's really, really, and it's the only moment it does this. But you only need one to undermine the whole thing for me. The the moment where the film picks fun at the fact that it's doing a musical. Um, and that's the bit where you have Mrs. Potts coming up towards the camera yeah. and doing a little wink and a little kissy face thing, and uh, it's all in slow motion. And it's a and it's a joke. And the joke is, Haha, we're doing a song, silly. Yeah. And you only have to do that once. It's why the, the the bit that I'm the most not looking forward to in Cats is Haha, Rebel Wilson's dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's a dance show, and this is Beauty and the Beast. It's not just a. It's not just something that you can call a musical. Yeah, it's. The thing that was celebrated as being definitionally a Broadway animated film. Yeah. For the first recognised time. Yeah. It's just, that is, that scene, that whole, the whole choreography of that scene, it's just, that is a perfect example of what you would have described as like a taxidermy version Mm. of something that was in the original. At least the other scenes attempted to, often ineptly, stage their musical numbers as musical numbers. Yeah. Whereas this one was just like, why don't we just quite closely remake the visual style and visual tricks of the original scene in ghastly CGI? Yeah. And it looked not good. And, and just as a point of annoyance, did they serve any food? (laughs) No, I don't think they did. To find out, I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. So I'll never know. Like, because that was always a little point. Who am I kidding? I'm definitely <laughs> watching this again. It, even in the original. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's food. Yeah. There's food at every stage. But it's Wizards Pass. I'm going to call she, it up. And I'm going to find out what happens at the grey stuff, it's delicious moment. She dips her finger. No, in the new one. I mean. Oh, in the new yeah. one. Right. That's what I mean. That's the, that is the closest, most absolutely definite interaction with the, the eating of the presented food in the yeah. original version. So, let's see. Because it'll be on. They'll put it on YouTube, won't they? Yeah. Okay, so what's happening now is some plates are being offered to her and she is batting them away angrily. Oh, no, she's not. She's trying to grab them, but they're taking them away. Yeah, no, he shows her grey stuff and then takes it away. So, no, it's actually almost a joke that she doesn't get to eat anything. Hang on. Yeah. See what I mean by mistakenly thinking at first that she was batting them away? It looks like she doesn't want them, but then it looks more like she's trying to grab them and the thing is taking them away. Yeah, because of... The expression she's pulling. Yeah. And, hey, fair play to her. This, by the way, think about what this was. This was Emma Watson sitting yeah. in front of a blank table yeah. trying to react and do faces. Presumably while people, like, extended arms yeah. and stuff at her. Yeah. Yeah. And they, uh, I, there's an extra feature about this, and they did, to the extent that they possibly could, they automated it. So, for example, there's a bit where the doors open and plates come in, and that was real. Okay. The plates are real. And the, the lighting is real. They've actually got right. the exact spotlight. They've got a, uh, uh, some sort of legendary... Two legendary stage lighting directors okay. got them to light the scene, and then after filming it or before something, they set it all up again and filmed like the real candlestick and teapot yeah. stuff to see how the lighting would affect them, and then the CGB. So that's why the lighting looks real, right? And that's cool. I like yeah. that. Then that's nice. But um, so Emma Watson was sat there most of the time, just looking at a stick with an LED light blinking on it to know where she should look. Yeah, and fair play to her. It's it's far from the least convincing bit of interaction with a, a thing in the film. Yeah, that's yeah. the bit where she first sees Chip, and we have that weird looming shot of her face coming towards us. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's the least convincing bit. Listening to that though, it did bring up another bigger point about yep. about those songs. 
And look, some of this is carried over from the Broadway show, uh-huh. and it's a peeve, but it felt more excusable in the Broadway show than it does in the film. All the frigging times that they take a song that is shaped oh. the way it's supposed to be shaped. Yes. And they have someone sing a line, yeah. and then they for five to twenty seconds yeah. go. Do 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 Yeah. Like that bit of be our guest that you played there was the bit where I was just I literally threw my hands up. Right. Where it's like try the grey stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe me, ask the dishes. Yeah. Try the grey stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe me, ask the dishes. They can sing, they can dance. No, exactly. When you break up a line like that, yeah. there's one, generally speaking, in the, in, the, in the Broadway version, I think that they did that a bit more intelligently. They rarely break up a line, yeah. but they do it once. And it is that when you have the Gaston, yeah. turns into a great big dance number. Yeah. And, um, Which I don't, I don't, I like. No, as a concept, that's fine. I, yeah. But the problem but is. But I don't like, I've never liked anywhere that I've heard them break Gaston. In the Broadway version, and I think in the film version, but I can't be sure. Yeah. After you have the extended dance sequence, you then come back to Gaston saying, I use antlers in all of my decorating. Yeah. Which is supposed to rhyme with expectorating. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he said that ten minutes ago. I, I really don't like how the Broadway version and then this version, they build up to that line. Yeah. Like it's the most important load yeah, whereas line Whereas it's just another one of Howard's jokes about stuff he does. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, to be honest, I think that's an artifact of the fact that I've never liked, I've never liked that they cut that song there, mm-hmm. even in the original film. Yeah. Like, frankly, I don't like that this new film is the only time they've ever used yeah. the part from the Say album. Say it again, who's a man among men? Yeah. yeah. I use antlers in all of my decorating. Say it again. Who's a man among men? I was very surprised to discover that wasn't in the film because, yeah. as I said, the you know I had the tape of songs and I yeah. listened to it over and over again before the video came out. So when we went to see the IMAX re-release of the film, yeah. I thought they'd cut it out to make room for Human again. I thought and it so. Hadn't. Yeah. It just was it's never just in the never film. It's never been there. And it should always yeah. be there because it's the end of that song. Yes. I use antlers in all of my decorating, my what a guy Gaston. Yeah. It's a really wet ending yeah. to that great song. But the version he actually wrote and recorded yeah. 
He's a fantastically great, has rousing... a proper shape. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, undermined in this version by a bit of ad-libbing yep. from Josh Gad, which yep. is like, oh, I forgot that I'm actually illiterate and this is really funny. <laughs> yeah. And his name's G-A-S-T. I believe there's another T. It just occurred to me that I'm illiterate and I've never actually had to spell it out loud before. That's it. Rubbish. You didn't have to do that. It's because... You broke the reality again. You broke the reality... And you don't need to riff on that bit no. because people mostly haven't heard haven't that. Haven't heard bit. it, yeah. This is its original presentation to most people, yeah. Yeah. Unless um, you had the album, I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people will never have heard that bit. But then Abby uh, never heard it. When really? We, yeah. When I when I was complaining about this at the after the IMAX version, yeah. um, I had to get it up and, and you know, on YouTube or somewhere or the, right. get the tape out or something and because yeah. um, I haven't even got it on C D. Huh. Maybe it, maybe it is a rarer album than you'd think it would be. It's on all of the recordings I've ever heard of it. Yeah, like, but that's the thing. That's because we engage with that way of listening to Disney songs. Mm. That is itself a bit niche. But then, once again, though, the film manages to do the worst of all worlds insofar as it does that bit, does it not very well. Mm-hmm. But then it also builds up to I use antlers in all of my decorating yeah. like it's the biggest and most important yeah. line of the song. God, just write another line. You're not, they're not against writing new lines in the rest of the film. Just put an extra little verse in there at the end. Yeah. Or just don't build up to it because you actually have the end bit. Yeah, so they could have done the dance and then built up to say it again. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I've never liked any of the instrumental breaks that anyone's ever come up with for sticking in the middle of Gaston. I think it always ruins the rhythm and always ruins the shape of the song. And lo and behold, yes, it does so again in this film. Yeah. Except this one has the added benefit of being sung very poorly by the guy playing Gaston. Yeah. Um, right. Belle, Belle. Emma Watson can't sing. <laughs> um, uh, and you have particularly egregious vamping. That You've got that bit where she's hopping across the stepping stone. Dazed and distracted, can't you tell? And I remember that visual because it's yeah. the first time that they really do 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 do. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken yeah. knew what the shape of a song should be, what the journey you go through it should be, and that if you quickly hop from one thing to the next, it is in itself impressive. Yeah, think about, exactly. Think about how bad it would be if in Little Shop of Horrors there was a big bit of vamping before Seymour comes in with. Imagine that. Like the whole thing about that is how it breaks into them singing Skid Row, and it's so good. Howard Ashman's style of writing it doesn't it doesn't easily lend itself to just adding bits of like instrumentation in because it's like there's a real rhythm to how Mm -hmm. he writes lines. They're meant to kind of continue in a real flow. Yeah, you can tell this is a guy who gets the rhythm sorted out before he starts really putting the final touches on what the words are even going to be because. Because it's the most important part. Yeah. And yeah, again, no. So, bad. <laughs> then there was... I'm just now looking at a list of all the songs. So I'm trying sure. to remember all the forgettable new ones. Yeah. Um, as we said, that How Does a Moment Last Forever song that Kevin Klein sings is I mean, okay. It's alright. I don't yeah. mind it. It's I don't like it, but yeah. in this film, that, that's quite high praise. So. Yeah, exactly. And... And the Celine Dion version at the end was like, 
all right, whatever, it's a Celine Dion-ish sounding that. song. It's sort of nice to have Celine Dion back on the credits. Back on Beauty and the Beast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. So it's like, fine, whatever. Yeah. Inoffensive. Um, Gaston, we just discussed. Be our guest, we just discussed. Oh, well, hang on. Oh. Um, there, we're forgetting the adventure in the Great Wide somewhere, but we've kind of covered that. It's, yeah. It's quiet, it's small, it doesn't fit the character anymore. There's a real, a real uncomfortable break between yes. her being in town and being on a hill suitable to sing that line. Yeah. And the thing is, that moment was like a kind of visual, almost, almost jokey quote of Sound of Music. Yeah. And now here we are having to just do it, and it just looks like you just did that badly. Yeah. Sound of Music, you'd been helicoptering your way over the mountains for ages before yeah. you got anywhere near. You see the little dot in the distance that yeah. eventually resolves into Julie Andrews. Yeah. In this, we, we just we use a magic book to teleport to the hill. <laughs> see, the magic book was set off. Yeah. Um, I've noted here that there's a gap where she stops for a while before she starts singing Madame Gaston and before I Want Adventure. And I've just put in capitals, where is the timing? Yeah. So it's like, and I don't, because I haven't watched it today, I don't remember exactly what I mean, but I I... think it's a sort of a boorish, brainless... Madame... (laughs) (laughs) It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. I looked up what it is. This is a fascinating screw-up that they did not have to do. So here's the bit that they were imitating. Me, the wife of that boorish, brainless... Madame Gaston, can't you just see? Now that's a film, so they have a, a total control over it. They can control the timing on it, so you have that dum 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 dum, and then as she says the words, it times it perfectly so that she can go straight into Madame Gaston, right? Maybe that would be more difficult in another medium. All right, here's what it sounded like on stage. Me, the wife of that boorish, brainless Madame Gaston. It's exactly the same. The actor just used timing to say the words at the correct times for the backing music. Okay, maybe now, maybe right on the actual stage, they would they would have been vamping that doo doo dum dum doo doo, and they would have just kept that going. And if it took her longer to say it, then she would jump in on the next available one. Right? Here's how it goes in the live action film, where I remind you, by the way, they have just as much control over everything as they did in the animated version. Me, the wife of that. Do you hear that? You hear what they did? There's a whole extra da-da between... She had... She, the timing was perfect. She could have gone boorish, brainless, da-da, madame. She could have done it. But instead, for whatever reason, I don't know whose fault this is, instead it's boorish, brainless, madame, and she madames then. Yeah, again, not well sung, not well staged, not well edited. For a specialist in movie musicals. Yeah. Very odd. Um, Just to visit, because I'm on my notes now, my note for the Gaston song was actually I'm fairly fine with their version of it it, because it was a... I just found... I I thought it was an interesting blend of three versions. You got the movie version, you got the Broadway reprise, and then you've got the Say It Again. Yeah. Um, Which the Broadway show, if we didn't say it before, should have done and didn't. Yeah, that's so weird. I was really expecting that to be in there when I listened to the Broadway mm. recording. Mm. I can't believe that bit's I, never been in. Amazing, yeah. Because it's the end of that song. Yeah. Unless <laughs> they did at some point put it in, but certainly by the time it was recorded and I've never seen it performed. Yeah. yeah. The, the note that I've got with Be Our Guest, by the way, is 
There are people, aren't there, who think that filming a musical is equivalent to using an unusual lens or working in black and white or something. <laughs> yeah. They don't realise it's a completely different language that they might not be qualified to speak in. They'll happily pause a song and have the orchestra vamp for a couple of bars just because they couldn't think of a way to focus on their stupid idea without breaking the song. Yeah. But they're not clever enough to realise that that makes it a song-breaking idea. Yeah. Mrs. Potts' little Broadway moment where she winks and blows a kiss at the camera says it all. This film thinks Broadway is a stupid joke. It's treating song and dance the same way Gremlins 2 did. And it misunderstands that the opposite was true of the original film, and that was why it was noteworthy. It thinks it's showing us a spectacle, but also it repeatedly reminds us it thinks spectacle is something to be ashamed of. There's an ongoing joke here, and the joke is that they're singing, and isn't that silly? Again, there's no reason why this director should do that. Well, this is the thing, and again, this is why I hesitate. I never know. It it feels like we ought to be able to say such and such a person did this, such and such a person did that, and then they always turn out to have done good stuff before. Yeah. And this is where you do go. So what is it? Is this all just executive meddling? What? Yeah. I I guess these things just don't come out right all the time. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm calling myself out again here. While editing, I wanted to do something about my snotty tone that I was taking here. Now, some of that tone is because of an understanding that me and Jahan have, but which I think I've failed to flag up to listeners, that when I'm reading the notes that I took while I was watching a film that may be crabby, it always makes me laugh how crabby I got. A bit like if you wrote down all your grievances just before eating a delayed meal and then read them back after you weren't hungry anymore. So sometimes you'll hear me laughing derisively, and it's at myself rather than the, the thing. And that explains some of my tone here, and I should have perhaps announced it. But I'm making a lot of derisive comments about the director, or at least the film's, approach to being a musical. Perhaps this is a personal obsession of mine, and it is! It is! The way musicals are able to be put on film, or fail to be, is just a, something I'm very interested in, personally. So perhaps I'm focusing on it too hard, and giving this director too hard of a time about it. So, I thought, the best way to redress the balance here was to actually go and give Bill Condon another chance by watching Dreamgirls, his movie adaptation of a 1981 stage musical set in the world of R&B and soul singers around the 60s and 70s, and which is, by most accounts, quite good. Well, on the whole, I enjoyed it. It certainly is a zillion times better than Beauty and the Beast, and yes, does nudge the pointy blame finger quite far away from Bill himself. If Dreamgirls is him working a bit more autonomously, although, of course, not entirely because you're always beholden to the money people when you're making a big film, then it shows he might have made a much better Beauty and the Beast if left alone, further suggesting that he wasn't. In particular contrast to Beauty and the Beast, the cast of Dreamgirls is excellent and very clearly cast with their singing ability high on the list of priorities. If you, for instance, are making a film about black women singing and you manage to get Beyonce for that film, and you still don't give in to the temptation to put her in the lead role if it isn't one suited to her particular talents, or even the role of the most impressive singer in the group, well then that proves that your focus is on presenting the material well, doesn't it? Rather than, for instance, rewriting the, the story so that the lead character is now a Beyoncé-appropriate one. Also, a very prominent singing part is given to Eddie Murphy, who turns out to be brilliant at it! Where did that come from? And not a sniff of compromise on presenting the songs as big, loud, belted, and fully performed, and yes, without any apparent autotune. That being said, there was lots of evidence of yet another film that was terrified to admit that it was a musical, despite all the big songs. Now, not being familiar with the show, I kept hearing songs and thinking, God, these lyrics are a bit on the nose. 
Which is a weird thing to think about a musical, isn't it? They're supposed to be singing what they feel. And this led me to examine why I thought it. And it's this. Nearly every time in this film, someone, in Dreamgirls, someone sings a song, it's either on a stage or it's on a record or it's in a recording booth, which makes sense for a film about singers. Except, given how specifically the lyrics seemed to be fitting what the individual characters were going through at any time, it made me wonder whether maybe these were the songs that the characters were supposed to sing to each other in the show. You know, the, the musical songs transformed for the film into performances and records to avoid having to have it be a, a like 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 a musical a reaction no doubt to chicago's rather better version of the same idea if if i was right and then suddenly all of 45 minutes in they did start singing like musical singing to each other for the very first time in the film and it felt like it just came out of absolutely nowhere it felt like it felt like a joke and i started to develop a theory that yeah yeah, some of the songs in the stage show will have been presented as, like, in-universe songs performed by performers, yes. But I bet lots of them were actually meant to have been the songs from this musical that the characters are singing to each other, and they've just been repackaged as performances. And now I was remembering how many of those performed songs have been presented in the film as unimportant background music to a montage sequence or as a record playing on the radio or otherwise ripped away from focus halfway through and and sung in the background while drama happened with talking instead of singing as if to say the songs aren't what we're here for they don't matter it isn't a musical it's not song don't worry don't bother about the songs ignore ignore it's not a musical and now i've found a bootleg of the original production and yeah it just confirms all my suspicions it is a rip-roaring musical with constant singing and dancing by all the characters and the angle is that the dialogue songs all sound like they'd be at home on the kind of record that the characters are there to make even though it's conversational musical recitative les misy stuff which is how portions have been able to be repackaged as that as records in the film where they suited being cropped into you know easily packaged songs otherwise and this is a different aspect that reminded me of, of this treatment of Beauty and the Beast. The film is weirdly slavish to the original script, so, but they and they don't change it at all, which means that dialogue that's funny and perfectly at home when sung or shouted on stage from the middle of a group of dancers or whatever, so done in a theatrical way, where it's all wrapped up in that understanding, that pact with the audience, that it's all a big performance and it's all Motowny songs and so on. It sounds really weird and amateurish when spoken quietly and naturalistically, as if it's this whole, as if as if it's a gritty docudrama. That's kind of what the film did. It took something fun and raucous and turned it into something kind of that takes itself really seriously. And here, here we are again. Then yet another movie musical that's ashamed of musicals, such that at the end of Act One, this oh God, the end of Act One. If you can find on YouTube a clip called Jennifer Holiday. And I'm telling you, 1982 Tony Awards, brackets, best version. If you find that and keep watching its fairly ordinary first few minutes until you hit the moment where you realise you're watching something very, very impressive indeed. By the end of that video, oh, you have to redraw your chart of what a good performance even is to be able to accommodate it. It's amazing and the stage musical has built towards that by just ushering you in to this world where people can sing 
and they can sing in this soul way. And that's just part of the language of the world. But when you get to that same part in the film, even though Jennifer Hudson does a perfectly good job singing it, a great job singing it, it just feels weird and out of place and confusing because you haven't been brought into a world where people sing by this film, whose job it was, or should have been, to do exactly that. So, what do we do with that? I don't know, but I think it's relevant here, which is why I recorded this. It helps explain what happened. We've established that Bill Condon is not dismissive of musicals, but I I felt, I think we both felt, that this film is. Well, I think now it's safe to say that this is a director who wants to do musicals and can do them well, but just constantly feels like he has to slip it past the board. You know, sneak musicalness in under the radar. And the trouble is... Anything that can make it under a radar is almost worthless in a musical whose whole thing is being big and noisy and over the top. But instead, we have songs that are sneaked in by being songs playing on a radio in one film, and in another film, we laugh about the fact that we're singing and dancing, or we have, you know, an auto-tuned Emma Watson, because we know you won't listen to a singer, but Emma Watson, you know, and we, she can basically make notes happen if we use this machine to help the film industry and sort of normies who think they don't like musicals, right? Think of musicals as garish and stupid and embarrassing. And that's because the only times they get to see them, it's with an apology and a little bit of self-deprecation so that people won't punish them for it. But that's the equivalent of if you were an orange juice producer who thought that the best way to sneak around somebody's distrust of orange juice is by giving them a little sip of it just after they've cleaned their teeth. <laughs> it doesn't work in that context. It makes people think they don't like it and won't and can't like it. But give them a cup on a hot day at the end of the school-sponsored run. Now they're hooked for life. And that's, that's what used to happen. Movie musicals were good once, and the audiences liked them. Um, will it ever happen again? I don't know. Absolutely no idea. At the time of recording, actually, they've just announced that they've given Wicked to John M. Chu to direct. So it looks like we're definitely getting a film of Wicked, and I will know what to think about that particular pairing when I get to see In the Heights, which hasn't happened yet. We'll see. I don't know. And in the meantime, if you don't know what I'm on about because you've never seen a musical, I guess the easiest thing you can do to see roughly what I mean probably is speaking of in the heights probably is to watch that filmed version of hamilton which is on disney plus because it's just if you don't know because there's confusing language surrounding it it isn't a film it's not a movie it's not hamilton the movie it is the stage musical performed on stage in with an audience in the theater original cast original staging everything just with cameras pointing at it literally one of the nights that hamilton was on but they filmed it it's got all of the things that musicals have and it has it on your TV, and it's, you know, filmed well, so you won't feel weird watching it. The, 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 it'll, all the context is there. That's probably something you can do that will show you what I'm talking about. And then imagine, having watched it, imagine if a film of it came out in which the whole thing was kind of whispered by people who can't really sing and all and the, it doesn't rhyme anymore, you know, it's just talking, it's just naturalistic dialogue, and then... You know, now and then they'll sort of half-heartedly sing one of the songs kind of quietly. Just imagine that and see what that would be like and how that wouldn't... And it wouldn't in any way represent the experience you just had. 
watching it, and then you'll see what I mean. Right, it's high time I put you back in the podcast, so back to talking about the songs of this film. Okay, what song we got next? Days in the Sun. Days in the Sun, okay. Oh, I could sing of the pain these dark days bring The spell we're under Still it's the wonder of us I sing of tonight How in the midst of all this sorrow I was sure was glad to get this instead of human again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the signature theme tune of Dying Genius Howard Ashman. <laughs> Restored to the original film in tribute. Yeah. Now replaced with a load of balls. <laughs> So, Human Again, if you don't know, readers, yeah. was a song that was cut from the original Beauty and the Beast. Was it intended well, no. to be in the film? Oh, yeah. It was yeah. written and they started. Okay. The only thing was that they couldn't quite make it mesh with the story because um, the uh, at the time, the conceit of it was that it was a time travel song. In, ah. So, it, it was Hakuna Matata. So, you right. are going through them tidying up the castle. Yeah. And the fact is that they realised that they kind of wanted the castle not to be tidied up. It, it, it wouldn't have suited to have a pristine, clean castle. Would have not would have gone against the the look of the end of the film where it needs to go dark and he needs to go into his right. brooding and so on. Um, or at least that's one theory. I don't actually know what their decision was because they on. do clean up the castle in. They do now, right? And this is a problem. Um, so when they re-released the film for IMAX, someone had the idea, and it was based on something that had, there'd been some other film that something had been re- put back into. Might yeah. have been Star Wars. Um, and they went, well, what can we do? And, and apparently, so goes the story. It was around the desk while they were figuring this out. Someone, as a joke, said, well, we could reanimate human again. And Michael Eisner or someone like that said, like, that's a big idea. Yeah. And he meant dollar signs. But what they did, and for the team working on it, it genuinely really was in tribute. Yeah. They took this song that everyone who knew it and worked on it and heard it disappear. Yeah. Kind of thought of as like the Howard Ashman song in some way. Yeah. Um, you know, because people put people take a lot of what he wrote about in this film and, and go like, is, was this him talking about like his own struggle mortality, with yeah. his mortality and his struggle with AIDS and what society thought of people with AIDS at the time? I don't think he told anyone that he had the diagnosis almost right up until, you know, when he died. Not very many people knew. And I don't know how much this is speculation, but I've heard that that might have been partly because there could have been professional repercussions because he was working in children's media. He was out as gay, but not as having an AIDS diagnosis. Human Again had been what he wrote for that, and Alan had put it back into the Broadway version. Yeah. And the Broadway version had been out in 1994. Yeah. Which is only three years after the film came out. So it's kind of of a piece with when the film came out. So it was already a success. They'd already figured out a way of taking out the uh, the TikTok the time flies verse. Yeah. But for the for the new version where they animated it, 
which was probably about 2002. They did animate in this sequence where they're all cleaning up the castle, and they put in the bit from the stage production, which is actually in something there, where she's helping him to read because yeah. he's because he because he can't read, so she's reading to him. I got a detail wrong here. Actually, the teaching the beast to read thing did originate with human again, the way it was going to be in the film. Um, one of the reasons it was cut was because it was really long. It was like 11 minutes long. And also, they, there was something wrong with the time-skipping effect of it. I don't know what was wrong with that specifically. Maybe it was just that it made it be really, really long. But one of the things about it was that across the montage that was Human Again, uh, you were watching her teach him how to read. So he started from basically, basically nothing and ended up able to read something simple out to her. So for the Broadway version, what they did was they split up the teaching him to read thing so that instead of it having to take place across a long montage, you know, entirely within Human Again, instead it starts in something there and it concludes in Human Again. So it gives the effect of time having passed uh, that way. There you go. And they tidy up the castle. And thereafter, they had to repaint all of the backgrounds as a tidied up fixed castle. Oh, really? And this is why people don't really like that version of the film. Because it um, has... Even though they did that scene brilliantly, there are moments like... Uh, for example, there's a bit where Lumiere hops up onto something and, and helps... I think it's the bit where they're doing his hair all frilly and silly. Uh. Uh, Lumiere hops up and says like, Oh, you're looking, you're looking great, or whatever. Yeah. And what he hops up onto is like a... a a sticky out bit of a broken dresser drawer that's been t- broken over the years. Nope, it's a chair. It's a broken down chair where one of the legs is snapped off and it's all snapped up and it's all tilted over. I don't know where I got the dresser drawer thing from, but I can picture it. I've either I've been Mandela'd or that's a different bit of the film. And then, but it's fixed now, so they had to just put like a nice stool in, and it doesn't quite match his hop ah. and just stuff like that. The, the the film, its whole tone changes. I did not know. No, me that. neither. I had to I had yeah. to see this and look it up. But and then when you go down that rabbit hole, you end up. I kind of don't want to watch it on Blu-ray anymore because you find out that, like, even if you watch it without Human in again in, if you watch on the Blu-ray the original version, yeah. it just skips Human again. So you've still got all that, I see. the wrong backgrounds. No, no, no. Stop, Dave. It was hours into the record. You are befuddled. But it's still really annoying, even if I was wrong about the details. Here's what it actually is. In that old DVD and Blu-ray, if you play original theatrical version, it does just skip human again but then it puts you onto a separate track which does have the proper original backgrounds on so okay fair enough so you can still watch it with all the broken down castle and everything that's great except it's the way that they did the transition because for the special edition with the extra scene for reasons i don't personally know they redrew that last shot the i'll tell you when you're older with it mirrored so that everyone's standing in a different order to the way they are originally. I think because, you know, they wanted the camera to look at them from a different direction for some reason. I don't know why, but they did. That special edition redrawn shot is still in the version on Disney+, Plus, even though, ostensibly, it's the original version with the original backgrounds and so on. Because it's at that point, at the end of that scene there, that the discs used to transition to the separate track to show the original version. And it's still got the sort of clumsy, like, I think they just put the Blu-ray on and just, like, recorded it to put that on Disney+, Plus because it still cuts to the next scene in a kind of clumsy way, where... Well, listen, I'll, I'll play it to you. This is what it sounds like. Listen to this. See if you can hear the, the weird jump. There may be something there that wasn't there before. What's there, Mama? Shh. I'll tell you when you're old. 
Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That is actually how it goes in the film. Here it is again. And that is Beauty and the Beast now. That is the one that's on Disney Plus that all the kids are watching now. They couldn't have just sourced it from an earlier. They ha they they have sourced it from a bat. <sighs> Never mind. But they've changed the whole color of the film. It's really different if you compare it to people's like uh, scans of of like you know the trailer say and stuff like that. Yeah. So there is actually a some people have got hold of the original film and they've scanned it and it's like a restoration. Uh, I see. You know, almost like silver screen have Star they, like, light Have they lightened the film? Because like, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, and this is, this is another topic for another day. And perhaps we'll, if, we'll be doing a frivolous in a minute, but sure. basically they've futzed with every Disney film now on Blu-ray. They are literally not the original films, any of them. Yeah. And it's like, oh no. Yeah. This is getting into George Lucas-y territory yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. But okay. Yes, they have. Okay. And that's why you can see him completely clearly when he's supposed to be invisible yeah. in the shadows. And I was wondering, had I just misremembered mm. that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, where were we? Human Again. Human Again. A great song, a wonderful song, and yeah. a song which, one of two positions in this film, I've, arguably three, that I think they could have done this, they've written a new song because... Their concept for what song they want to do doesn't quite match what it is. Yeah. So Human Again is them longing for the future. Here they wanted a song where they're longing for the past. Yeah. And the reason why is because the point of the song was that the Beast, while it's going on, it's fra it has a framing device of the Beast remembering the time when his mother was dying. Yeah. And his mother sings to him a verse about how she will never leave him. And then she dies, and you get him singing a verse about how she died and did leave him. Yeah. And this was cut from the film. Uh, it's on the Blu-ray, and I watched it this morning, and it's actually quite good. Okay. Or at the very least, this speaks to the subtle art of editing. When I was watching this song, I thought I was watching a load of muddly nonsense that yeah. I didn't get what the point of it was, and I didn't yeah. feel like I was in a film. Yeah. Watching the original version, I actually did feel those things, okay. because it, it handled the... The crosscuts between things better. It made more narrative sense the way they did it. Yeah. But apparently the story... So the story goes, according to the director, they, they had this for, in the screening. So the way it originally went was, he's drifting off to sleep, right? Yeah. And you see what he's dreaming. And he's dreaming that it, it was his mother coming to him when he's lying in bed. She's perfectly well. Yeah. And she's singing, like, I'll never leave you as long as I'm alive. So coming to him as he is now. No, sorry. It is as he is as a child, but yeah. it's but it is faded in to him as he is now. So they're both in the bed. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's compared. Days in the sun when your life has barely begun. Not until my own life is done could I ever leave you. Then we pan out of. The, then he like wakes up from that. And then we pan out of that room and we get everybody else's part where they're all going like, remember the our days in the sun? Remember when it was great? Will yeah. I ever see my, my wife again? Will we ever ha hold each other in our arms again? As they hold each other in their arms. There's, <laughs> there's a direction problem there. Um, yeah. And then Belle gets a little bit to sing with the um, wardrobe lady. Yeah. And then it comes out again. And then the Beast now, so Dan, what's name? Stevens. Stevens. He then gets to sing a verse as we see footage of the time his mum died. Right. So now it's it's the, the framing device of the song. It's been turned on its head. She's in bed now. What did I do? How did I deserve losing you? And she's left him. Yeah. And, and his horrible dad pulls the little boy away. Yeah, yeah. 
They've now refilmed this, and what it is now is you don't have the, the alive mum at all. The scene that was supposed to go at the end of the little boy looking at the dead mum is now the first thing he that he and only thing that he dreams. That's yeah. the opening of the song, and the little boy is doing the song. Days in the sun with such egregious auto tune. <laughs> when my life has barely begun, so yeah. that you cannot possibly pay attention to whether or not you like the song, what the story is that's being told. Yeah. And that boy was hired specifically instead of the original boy yeah. because now they needed a boy who could sing. So, which is it to be? <laughs> and also, the version that's in the film doesn't convey any of this. No, it doesn't. It, 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 it makes you think that they, again, like with the Paris bit, which maybe once had a shape to it. Yeah. It's just like, by the way, here's the Beast backstory. Okay, mate. Yeah. And you're just like... It's like, by the way, this character's mom died yeah. at some point. Again. Yeah. And, you know, they... Ne- See, so there is... So clearly then, this must have been that they were trying to use those to bring them closer together yeah. under the shared thing. They're, they're both mums were named Martha and they're trying to bring them together. <laughs> and maybe that would have actually, like... Maybe, maybe that would have worked if they yeah. had actually discussed missing their mums or something yeah. there's a way they could have been brought together with that but it was cut and the beast like why do you say that name yeah because <laughs> this beast would do that yeah yeah <laughs> this beast is clearly a big fan of batman v superman oh he'd love it <laughs> oh that's what he would have that's yeah that's what he's taken to the library to put up to put on because he's got a projector in there well, yeah he was romeo and juliet <laughs> they don't even fight check this out <laughs> Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it's not a good song as is. No. And no. it can't help but feel like what is there is like, what's this? This is just feels like human again, but this is it. a billion times and crapper. Now, and now everyone knows human again. It's not as if it's that's like a secret nobody knows, because that's in the, the Blu-rays. Yeah. Actually, it might not be in the latest one, but it's been in it for so long across DVD, Blu-ray, yeah. that everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really weird that they took out something as important to the people who made Beauty and the Beast, to Alan Menken, yeah. to Howard Ashman, yeah, and that had been completely reintegrated back into... Beauty and the Beast, first for Broadway and then for cinema and then for home cinema. To take it out and replace it with something that's so fundamentally similar, that that looks like it's trying to be that, but that has nothing of the quality of it. Yeah. The melody itself is alright, it's a nice little tune, but like... Yeah. Another thing that kind of undermines it, the words are dreadful, and in the original version that's on the Blu-ray... They're also bad. Yeah. And they're they're different. It's different uh, lyrics and... Cheers, Tim. (laughs) Yeah, oh, is that Tim again? If I, I, I think. Let me double check that before I before I impugn his good name. Yeah, it is him. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Look, all these things you saw in your pajamas are a long range forecast for your farmers. It's one of the best lyrics ever written. Tim had something special. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that isn't the words aren't good, and they're they're totally interchangeable. They just say stuff. There's like the bit in the original verse. There's a bit where the the beast sings like, and now I'm frightened, and it doesn't rhyme with anything. It doesn't yeah. fit. They have to come up with a bit of melody to fit it in. Please don't die. You promised to be here with me forever, and now I'm frightened. Belle singing with behind her, yeah, 
who I assume is a known singer of some repute because she's singing properly. Yeah. No auto tune on her. And meanwhile, Emma Watson's struggling in the foreground to like sing over this opera singer woman. Yeah, yeah. And because of that lack of shape that it did used to have, which it did, yeah, and now it does, it's not as good as like Bell or something like that, or humid again, no, no, but it had a shape and now it doesn't, and so it just in every way it feels throwaway. It feels like it doesn't need it's to be a there. Fragment. Yeah. It's, it's a, like a vestigial. Yeah, it's a vestigial limb of a song. It's just chucked in as if they just had it lying around and had to throw it in. A bit like Spirit in yeah, Lion King, right? Not as bad as that, but no, nearly. No. Spirit, the better song. Um, I've still not listened into... to it, but... I don't remember. I did, did throw it on once, but I don't remember it. But come on, it's got to be. <laughs> but then... <laughs> but then... Because um, it doesn't have this auto-tuned child in it. <laughs> I feel by... bad for the child. He it's not sing, by Tim Rice. I... <laughs> but it's not good, and yeah. then it should have been human again. And here's the thing. Not the only time in this film where I think to myself... Why didn't you just write new lyrics? If your point was that what they were talking about didn't fit anymore. Yeah. Keep the tune. Yeah. Just keep the tune. Keep the good tune. So, like, as I say, and I see why they did this with Maurice's little song, right? Yeah. Maurice has a song in the stage version. No, I'm not odd, nor you. No family ever saner. Except one uncle who will maybe let that pass. In all you say and do, you couldn't make it plainer. You are your mother's daughter, therefore you are class. That is of value because it ties in with the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. It's that, which is kind of his theme in the film. Yeah. So that makes total sense, and I love, I always like that when they take, they did it in The Lion King. Yeah. Okay, I get that that's a bit too jolly and bouncy to make it into what was was supposed to be a more touching We Miss Your Mum song. Yeah. Got it. But it only starts like that, and then it goes into this... No matter what the pain, we've come this far. I pray that you remain exactly as you are. We've come this far, and it's a different tune, and that would have fit. Yeah. So I don't quite know what they were doing there, but here... Definitely just use human again, the tune, and change the words. Yeah. And, and okay, when it's Howard Ashman, that's tricky to do. Yeah. So maybe that was their decision. But it's a song we know, and yeah. it fits. And you wouldn't have to change them all. And it's that's a good song. It's a good song. Yeah. And you replaced it with a bad one. Mm-hmm. But hey, this is the film in which they take things that were, that good, were good and replace them with things that are bad. What's the next song? <laughs> um, something there is. Well. It's there. <laughs> There it is. They rattle through it as best they can, which is not that well. Yeah. There's not enough to say about something there. And I I've got a couple use... of notes. I'll say them oh, go on, go on. You, no, you go on. With oh, well, they're notes. very throwaway. Um, one is uh, when he's doing his, she glanced this way, he's singing it yeah. in universe to her face. Because I'm pretty right. sure that the previous new and a bit alarming, she's away from him in another bit. But here, he is serving soup or something to her going she glanced this way yeah. as he hands her the soup or yeah. whatever it is and I know you can do that in yeah. musicals of course you can you can have people sing when we the audience understand it's in their head Yeah, but they that it didn't feel like that it felt yeah. like he was singing a private thought that sh- he, she shouldn't have yeah. heard to her 
Next. And I, you know, I used my inside voice outside. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this sounded like the sort of opinion that would annoy me if anybody else said it. So, <laughs> you know, because in musicals, you're allowed to sing, right? So I looked it up to see, like, did I have any leg to stand on here? And yeah, I do. Okay, so listen, in a musical, absolutely you can have people singing at each other, standing in the same room, looking at each other, singing, and we just understand that it's a musical and it's not out loud. But... In the original film, they are not moving their mouths when they sing those bits. And in this film, right, the Beast's bit opens on a shot of Belle smiling at him from one end of a table. Then it cuts to him at the other end of the table looking at her, looking into the camera, singing it. So the the film language communicates that they're one-on-one, head-on, communicating with each other. Now, it does turn out, as the camera pans away, that it's a very long table, so, you know, like, he could be... He, there's a chance she wouldn't be able to hear him in the language of the film, but you don't know that until long after this impression has already formed. It's clumsy. Oh, it's not good. Oh, why is it good? Oh, this could have been so good. Oh. And next is the auto-tune glitches during New and a Bit Alarming. New! Yeah. As the computer remembers how very specific Howard was about yeah. how this line should be yeah. delivered and tries, to, <laughs> and tries to break its programming to stop this from happening and instead just collapses into a heap of cogs. But yeah, there's like yeah. a little glitch on the autotune there. It's, it's, it's I've always strange. noticed it doesn't sound right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the, the Watson bot broke. <laughs> so that's, that's all my notes. So I wanted to kick it off because there's not enough else to say about their version yeah. of something there into the song that comes a bit later, Evermore. Remind me? The, the beast <laughs> climbing up the tower yeah. and singing a, a oh, disappearing speck. I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it. And part of the reason I don't like is he does not have a nice sounding singing voice. No. He doesn't. No. It's... Again, I don't want to be mean, no. but the word the word that I come up with always is Kermitty. Oh, uh, yeah. Like... He has a sort of strangled sound to yeah. it, you know. Yeah. She glanced this way. Yeah. You know? It's what people do when they. It's what it's it's what I would sound like. It's what people can do when they yes can hit the notes. Yeah. And the people around them have mistaken that for can sing a big belter yeah. Broadway number, and they have to just muck through somehow, like stars. And I know she never loved me. It's like yeah. that. No, no, it's not In nice fact, sounding. The the line which he says. In a in a quiet voice like that, and I don't know the tune, but the line is, "I rage against the trials of love." Yeah, I rage against the trials of love. That can only work in a bombastic, over-the-top musical moment. Yeah. Throw that in, lame is, and someone could the the real lame is, and that could someone <laughs> someone could sing that, and yeah. we would accept it. Yeah, but it breaks reality here when yeah. a man is. This is about as loud as I can sing. Yeah. And, <laughs> I will stand upon my balcony. It's, it doesn't work. <laughs> then I will move up to a slightly higher balcony. <laughs> <laughs> then I will do that again because that's the entire stating of this song. <laughs> because it's all they've got. Yeah. Because what they won't do, and I don't know why, and I don't know why, and this is why I was saying that it, the, the auto-tune in this felt like an experiment. What they used to do is cast someone else as the singing voice. Yeah. Disney used to do this, but live-action musical films used to do this. Yeah. And, okay, they often used to do it badly and people picked it up, like um, uh, My Fair Lady. But yeah. you could do it well. You really could, especially this day and age. Yeah. There are people out there who have a voice that 
sounds credibly like it could be the voice of Dan Stevens or yeah. Emma Watson, but who can sing? Yeah. It'd be fine. And the thing is, you can get them to sing on set so that it matches. Yeah. The thinking these days seems to be is like, no, it's fine. We've got auto-tune for that. Now. That's it. That, yeah. yeah. So they, uh, that's, that's it. It's like, it'll be fine. So we'll just f- record this. Yeah. And it, and it turns out to not really quite come together. And, but they still, they don't do that, like... I mean, I know it's on Disney, but like that, yeah. you know, The Greatest Showman, for example. Well, I haven't seen that, so I don't know. I've not seen it either. But I'm to understand that, like, Rebecca Ferguson plays, like, a famous opera singer in it. Uh-huh. And she has a big number that is dubbed. Like, yeah. most other people sing their own songs. Yeah. But when it comes to the moment that Rebecca Ferguson needs to pretend to be, like, the world's greatest yeah. opera singer, they just cast someone else. Yeah, I heard that as well. And so, there you go. There's, yeah. a, there's a precedent. And yeah, the thing is, yes... Yes, we know who Emma Watson and Dan Stevens, certainly particularly Emma Watson, but I think didn't Dan Stevens get killed off in uh, Downton Abbey just to do this? Really? I think so. I wasn't aware of that, no. Oh, and it was like... Spoiler for Downton Abbey, I guess. Well, and it was. It spoiled Downton Abbey. Oh, right, Well, he was like one of the main characters. Okay, yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, right, well, yeah, no, he was one of the main characters. Yeah. And he... Uh, There was a love story going on with another one of the characters and they were going to get married and just absolutely out of goddamn nowhere thematically. Yeah. He just, in the Christmas special, it ended with, uh, and he, he, I mean, you're going to think I'm making it up. He died on his way to his home house. (laughs) The story of the episode had played off and then he was just on the way home and his cart fell over and he died. That was it. And then he was never in it again because he died because he was off filming Beauty and the Beast. That was it. Um, wow. So anyway, so he, but he was still a relatively famous name. But Emma Watson. But I still think you can trust the audience enough to understand that, okay, there's no reason to imagine Emma Watson can sing. Yeah. We want the songs in this. So yes, we'll hire someone else. Yeah. No, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. <laughs> I guess it's because, you know, they want... I think they do see it as some kind of like mark of authenticity or something yeah. like that. Like, Which I get, but it yeah. undermines it in the final product because yeah, of the does. autotune. With Dan Stevens, yep. so you've watched presumably some of a lot of him as on TV then, because I've heard interviews with him. I've heard like podcast interviews with him. He just seems like a really sound guy, yeah. you know. Yeah, he just seems like really casual, really loose, really yeah. kind of like he just seems. Like, oh, this guy seems really cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I'd like to. I'd like to go and see a movie with this guy that isn't this one. Yeah, you know, yeah. like. But yeah, how how did he come across as such a dick? <clears throat> I know. So, I get acting, I guess. Well, so, well, well, done, well Dan. done, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> really has range. Um, I can't really remember enough about his character in Downton, but the yeah. thing about Downton, the thing about Downton, is that everyone in it is so charming and lovely. Yeah, yeah. That you put aside your, like, well, I don't know if I want to watch a stuffy costume drama yeah, yeah. about the rich and how great they are. Yeah, yeah. It, you just put it aside because it's like... Yeah, but look at these great guys. Look at this bunch of great guys, yeah, you know. Yeah. And one of them is Maggie Smith, and everyone else fits in an ensemble with Maggie Smith. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's what Downton Abbey is. And for the first, you know, two or three seasons... That works. But then he died. I don't, presumably it's still fine after that, but I just stopped watching because it. that was the point at which it was like, you've undermined it now. Yeah, yeah, Beauty yeah. and the Beast doesn't have that problem because from frame one... <laughs> just... Which is the... Which is from frame one, by the way, which is the, uh, the 3D Disney logo. Yeah. Except done of Beauty and the Beast, which shows you that, yes, it is weird that there's one tiny little circle of town... Uh, nothing else. Yeah. And then this giant ornate castle. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then 
a bad, so I'm going to go as far as to say, yeah. CG hand plucks a bad CG rose and does the rose equivalent of my least favourite thing in CG, which is the you go down their throat as they sing or shout. <laughs> really kind of hampered my enjoyment of the film from what is genuinely like before the first break. <laughs> Depending what? on where you count from. You guys just, you know, well, at least they set their stall out clearly. Yeah. Whereas at the same point in the Jungle Book, you're like, yeah! Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What other songs are there? Uh, I feel like there aren't that many more. Well, uh, if that counts as us actually talking about the Beast song, um, then that is the biggest moment where I'm like, for definite, just write new lyrics to the previous song. Long ago I should have seen All the things I could have been Careless and unthinking which preview? Do you mean the um? How could if I can't if I love can't her, love her one? It's from... the big end of Act One moment. Yeah. Now it is from a slightly different position in the film. It's yeah. from the story. It's the one where he sh- he shouts her out of the rose out room. of the yeah. And yeah. so they use that song in place of the the subtlety in the animation where you realise he perhaps regrets how nasty he was with her in that moment. Yeah. He does his big, like, belter moment. I've talked about it before on this podcast. This yeah. is where the, the set revolves. Now we're outside. There's smoke machine everywhere. He comes out on his balcony. But the thing is, it's Great got... Great lyrics there, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Tim is really on the ball there. But it's got that... Da, 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 yeah. But now it's yeah. the big badum. It's yeah. the... It's the... The fu- big badum. The big badum. Yeah. So, again, it ties in with the score. It ties in... And, and, and that's in the intro to this film. So it ties in with that. So what you have is a song that has been organically and slowly and carefully built to fit in with the music of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And it goes in a place in the Beast's journey that could absolutely simply be lifted out and placed here. In fact, he has a reprise here in the, at this point in the, in the show, yeah. uh, albeit a very uh, small one. Yeah. So just swap around, just put the big one here. Um, I would put the small one earlier. Yeah, why not? Um, but instead, they just write a new song, which has no impact. No. And it's, it's so wet. Yeah. It's, like it's not-, not as powerful a melody. It's certainly not delivered as powerfully. And you do no. just wonder, why did you do this when what you already had was a song that serves this exact function? Yeah. Already. It's weird. Alan's commented on it, and all I've found that he said is that, yeah, but that is an end of act one song. Yeah. At a position in the film where, you know, now we're making a three act film. So... Maybe he means, and that's as far as it went, but maybe he means that it's too big. It's too big for the for, where it goes, yeah. yeah. Let the world be done with me. But I d- don't think so. I think in, in Disney you just, can sh- shovel that up. Or truncate it, just cut yeah. it in half or something. But that's it, yeah. Use yeah. that music, but in a new form. Just the fact that you've got... It's that... Maybe I wouldn't... Well, I would, but maybe I shouldn't have thought about any of this. If they hadn't played Home, Is This Home, yeah. Bell's 
one solo song really, which yeah. is weird. She didn't have one in this version. Yeah, that's a like Beauty and the Beast. It's an interesting one in that like there aren't that many songs mm. in Beauty and the Beast that are designed to be showcases of no that characters singing. No, like m- most of the songs are ensemble songs. Yeah, like even the ones that are like. I I always it's easy to misremember that Gaston sings Gaston. I know, yeah, yeah, and he doesn't. When you think like, oh, I'm yeah. If you were like, I need to look at the bit where Gaston sings, you'd go to Gaston, and he just yeah. says a couple of lines. Yeah, it, but it's because of the sheer power of the barge bit. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. is so. Yeah, yeah, that just just drills into your very existence uh, with uh, how amazing it is. Oh, totally, yeah. But it's LeFou's song. Yeah, and yeah, if you want a Gaston song, it's a mob song. That's a mob song. It is weird the way that the songs are broken down. They are all sung by people you don't necessarily expect. Yeah. The problem with this version is you don't hear any of these people singing any of the songs. No, you don't. You actively don't. And so when they start, yeah. your response... Like, I guess in the Disney film, the, 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 the real film, your response when a song starts is like, Goody, yeah. here, here comes what will be one of the highlights of the film. Yeah. Whereas in this when it starts, you were like, Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, we've got to get through this together somehow. Yeah. The only, my only exception in this in this film is just the nothing can stop me from feeling cheered up when the instrumental intro to something there kicks in. Oh yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, it's so it's so yeah. like it so gets you in the mood for what they're going to do. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's really, it's, especially given that it always builds off the score that yeah. the underscore that had come up to that point and the dial that had yeah. come into that point it's like man we're building up momentum we're getting there we're yeah. getting there and then now they're going to do it that's where the old yeah. movie soundtrack album kind of failed because it it just cuts in at duh, 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 and it's yeah. like well it's nice but it's not as good they kind of yeah. they did a halfway house on the uh, musical recording by allowing yeah. for the yeah but there's more than that it's yeah yeah but even that even in this remake that in yeah. that bit of instrumental, I'm just like, oh, they're going to sing something there. Then they actually start singing it, and That's it's like it. a letdown. But yeah. and you, you remember, but that I'm not of... letting you take that one moment of yeah. this film away. And this is the thing. This is where when they start up with, they have a great cast here, but not for this because yeah. when whenever they start the cast doing the things that those characters have to do, you remember, oh no, wait, this isn't what I want this person to do. I yeah. don't want to hear Ian McKellen sing. No. It's not what I want from him. No. And, like, it's not a big singing part, Cogsworth, but it's just one of the things where, yeah, you're like, oh no. Yeah. And same with Emma Thompson. Same with Emma Thompson. Uh, 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 a presence who I always welcome. Oh yeah. And it makes total sense, by the way, to cast her as Mrs. Potts. That absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing about that equation that makes me go like, oh no, like there is with say you and McGregor as Lumiere. Yeah, like yeah, Emma Thompson's reports. Yeah, cool. sure, of course. And that I suppose brings me round to Beauty and the, Beauty Beast, the Beast, which I didn't like this, but uh, no, and I know why I didn't like it, and I'll look up if I made any notes. But the the main thing is that it starts off fine, and you know going in that you're gonna things are going to undermine it. Yeah, you know the dance is not going to be touching this time. Yeah. What I was, and you wonder, is am I going to accept anyone other than Angela Lansbury, who is a still alive and b yeah. still performing this song yeah. on stages nightly? Yeah, why is she well, not nightly? Here? Apparently, but, but the the, well, the just in her house, or? she had a you know, some sort of residency. I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah. but the um, I actually know the reason they didn't cast her, and and the the director has said this yeah. with a slightly apologetic tone. It's yeah. 
that you wouldn't have believed when we reveal her at the end to have Chip as her son. Right, yeah. It's like, okay. fair enough, she's not, what, 94 or something? Yeah. Uh, got it, okay, fine. To um, be honest, I, that, I, mean, I still felt that in the, in the original. Yeah. You know? So that's why they did that. But So you're like, am I going to accept the, this version? Um, and I suspect you are about to say you didn't. I didn't mind her performance of it particularly, but maybe that's because I'm used to hearing different people sing it for the show. And I, for me, I've heard a lot of different versions of Beauty and the Beast now. No, I literally just can't accept anyone other than Angela Lansbury singing it. Because everyone who's ever sung it in character as Mrs. Potts, they can't escape its orbit and they can't escape trying to be her Yeah, they're singing in character as Angela Lansbury, aren't they? And you're not going to out Angela Lansbury, Angela Lansbury. That's not... The the maths doesn't work. No. Like, but I felt it particularly egregious here. I, I just feel like the accent destroyed Emma Thompson's entire performance. It's so mannered. Yeah. And it's so artificial and it's so cart it's such a cartoon and it's all right you actors are allowed i know i said about the the french thing earlier but actors are allowed to do accents but it's weird it's like when it's like when benedict cumberbatch tries to be american or something yeah you, you, you know i mean honestly it's it's a lo- again it, it just ends up coming across to me a little condescending uh, yeah i know yeah you know because we know what her voice really is and it just comes across to me a little bit like I, I am going to do the yeah. voice of a poor person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but the big, the, also, Beauty and the, Angela Lansbury's yeah. performance of Beauty and the Beast is the most sincere thing yeah. ever committed yeah. to recorded media. Yeah. Like, I can't, it's impossible for me to listen to that song yeah. without, to some degree, yeah, yeah. crying. Yeah, it's. Everything about it, the way that it's orchestrated, and yeah. but it, Honestly, it's 90% Angela Lansbury. Well, and just the fact that it was her that they got to sing it. Yeah. Like, they could have had another, you know, another in-head duet between the two of them. Yeah. That would have been worse, but it would have been the go-to idea. Yeah. I'm sure it'll have been what they thought first. And because you know, also because you and I, we know the sort of lightning in a bottle, like, sort of inspiration behind it, of just that, that this was just Howard Ashman and Alan Menken being the only people who knew that you are the only person who could possibly yeah. perform this song, and Angela Lansbury herself saying, are you sure? Yeah. Like, I'm a really old lady, yeah. and are you sure I can do this? And like, literally only you can do this. And she's like, all right. And then sang the most, as I say, most sincere thing anyone's ever yeah. committed to recorded media. In one take, as I understand it. Yeah, as I understand as well. And yeah, you can't replicate no. that, and they keep trying to replicate it. Yeah, I mean, you can't begrudge them for we can't we can't blame the people who had to play her on stage for not being Angela. Lansbury. No, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> blame them. I don't blame Emma Thompson. But it's just no. not as good. And I yeah, don't. So even... what should they have done? Because you can't not have it. Well, no. <laughs> do you do you cast Angela Lansbury, but then when she turns human at the end, do a talking on it? And have young Angela Lansbury. cheek Angela I mean, it would be far from the, the weirdest looking thing in the film. Like which, uh, which era? Well, I mean, you can take your pick. I don't know. Yeah. Do, how, do you mean how far do we de-age Angela? Yeah. Do we go bed knobs and broomsticks? Or do we go like black and white? Like like Manchurian candidate Angela <laughs> Bloody hell. I mean, I guess you would go... You'd probably go bed knobs, wouldn't you? Because yeah, c- conceivably so. she could be a mother of a child. At that age. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's go for that. But and, they didn't. And you've got all the footage that you can just, you know, yeah. deep fake on top of it. <laughs> yeah. 
And that so would... there we go. That's my. That's what I think they should have done. <laughs> yeah. Hire Angela. Yeah. Oh look, come on. But there's other sincere old ladies of her generation, right? R- yeah. Right. Right. Can Judy Dench sing? Well, we'll we'll find out in Cats. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Wait, does she sing? Oh yeah. Oh and does wait. Old, old Deuteronomy. Just sing? you wait and see how old Deuteronomy sings. I forgot that he sings. Old Deuteronomy sings, like, the end song, the finale, is just Old Deuteronomy stood up on a pedestal doing this long and, what's and the song, gentle what's song. What's the song called? It's called, the how to, ad- what's it called? Like, how do you address a cat or something? Um, huh. No, I don't remember that one. No. Having, having seen this show. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's not a very memorable moment, yeah. but it can be... It's actually a quite operatic moment. Okay. The thing, we, we, the question we're going to face the answer to soon is, can Judy Dench sing yeah. like Brian Blessed? <laughs> what if she sings exactly like <laughs> Brian Blessed sings? <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Judy Dench can sing. She was in Sondheim, but she right, can sing okay. in a yeah. Sondheimy way. She can sing in a, in a see, character yeah. acting way. Um, Imagine that that's just, that's the So last... yes, she could sing Beauty and the Beast, and yes, it could be beautiful. Okay. But imagine if she just brings out this Brian Blessed voice. Oh. Then that's like she's been waiting her entire life to reveal yeah. this secret. And then at the end of recording the song, she just dies. <laughs> it's like, I was waiting to the last possible moment to reveal this. Yeah. That'd be great. And I'm she, not wishing death on no. you. And she'd always, but... she'd been going like, what's the perfect moment? What's the most trolling moment <laughs> that I can die having done the voice of Brian Blessed? Yeah. And it's committed to... And they can't change it. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? it's my there final is, performance. There's no more trolling moment to be your final moment on yeah. Earth than Cats the movie. <laughs> than Tom Hooper's Tom cat. Tom Hooper's cat. Yeah. Uh, Maggie Smith, can she sing? Um, I don't know, you know. But again, but, but yeah. if, if Maggie Smith... If we cast Maggie Smith, then we cast Angela Lansbury. Yeah, You true. need someone younger than that. No, That's the thing. I know. But who has the soul of someone older than that? Yeah. You and need someone who we think of as an old lady, but they're not. You'd have thought Emma Thompson was a good you choice would, You think that. she'd be perfect? Exactly. I just wish she hadn't done the accent then. Yeah. I think that's all it is. Yeah. I just... I find... Like I said, the accent's so fake. Mm. And it's so performative and caricatured and that's so like not what you want out of that that's character. it does no yeah exactly you are listening all the time to her do concentrating on an accent yeah and that undermines the performance Whereas, every time yeah i mean are there any performances that i will have as well jerry orbacher's lumiere is one of very few performances I can name yeah. where they're doing an accent that isn't their normal accent yeah. and it doesn't undermine the performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Les Poissons. Exactly. Perfect example. <laughs> but, but, it, but it does, doesn't it? Because yeah. even though we love that, yeah. that, the accent's the star there. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So exactly. So even when it's good, yeah. even when it's a good thing, yeah. it always undermines in some way or overshadows the performance, shall we say. Yeah. Um. No, there the accent and the performance are inextricable, so I shouldn't put it in those terms, but you yeah. know what I mean. But it's like, you know, that's a comedy song. Yes. Like, if he'd sung Beauty and the Beast <laughs> in that voice. Let's get right on the phone. <laughs> that needs to happen. Let's kickstart that, yeah. uh, if that's a thing that one can do. Yeah. 
What part? What line in Beauty and the Beast rhymes the best with "ha"? <laughs> we can, I'm sure we could change some of the lyrics. Yeah, now. we'd have to, really, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um. <laughs> to be about like slaughtering fish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the lyrics of Le Poisson. No, because I also think it should tie into the fact it, in in universe yeah. he is there while they're having this dance, and he's been entrusted with leading the song. <laughs> But also, he's preparing the fish. <laughs> a delicious fish meal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You see, this is where Bill Condon went wrong. Mm. But I mean, That's where it is. I'm they, glad you yeah. pinpointed it. <laughs> if you'd got that one part right, yeah. everything else would have just blossomed yeah, out of definitely. it. Definitely. Perfectly. Have we run out of this film now? While we're thinking about that, let's check back in with Ewan. Due to the emergency situation created by someone younger than us having a different opinion, I was having to do a lot of patient explaining, which no doubt he was grateful for, but it did mean that we ended up going on for a long time. Most of that time was just me saying many of the same things we say in the actual episode you're listening to, but while pinching the bridge of my nose and sighing martyrishly. Rather than play you all of it, I've selected a couple of clips that are either entertaining on their own, or just make me look good. Here's one. Last time on Serious Miss This, we had a segment where I was curious what movies that I watched as a kid, having watched Pixar and Studio Ghibli, mm. would have been my equivalents for each of these Renaissance Disney movies that I didn't see. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast is about Belle going to this castle. She's held there against her will by the Beast. And then over the course of the movie, starts liking all of these people in the sort of... Like, it's not really a family, it's more of a town. It's like the house is a town full of all these citizens that she meets... And the citizens are, like, all the different, like, cups and the brooms. And and she falls in love with Beast to the point where when Beast likes her enough that she's no longer being held captive, she still goes back. Like, she, she doesn't escape because she wants to be there now. And that is the plot of Cars. <laughs> Cars is about Lightning McQueen going to Radiator Springs, being held captive there against his will and not being allowed to leave. Then, by the time they're no longer limiting his gas and he can escape back to California, he doesn't because he likes everybody in Radiator Springs that he's met now. And just like how Belle has to break the spell and turn all the people back to normal, like it used to be, Lightning McQueen has to fix Radiator Springs so it's like it used Mm -hmm. to be when it was the popping town where everyone was before the bypass showed up and then all of these people are now trapped here in this dead town where nobody comes anymore. They're isolated in the same way that all of the, the houseware is in Beauty and the Beast. And the person holding Lightning McQueen captive is the blue lady car person who he then falls in love with. And that's <laughs> part of the reason that he stays. Beauty and the Beast is cars. And you're wrong if you don't agree. <laughs> and here's another one. What I was saying about how I wanted to be watching Tarzan, it was because I'm at the point where it's probably at Gaston's song or something like that, or maybe a bit before. But at this point in the movie, all that I've been exposed to are a bunch of people being quite unpleasant. Mm. <laughs> it's it's all the people saying mean things about Belle and Gaston being a big old mean jerk and all the ladies swooning over him and they're all meant to be a bit repulsive in how ooey they are. Yeah. And so everything about it is just a bit un pleasant at this point and at this point in tarzan you've had a bunch of really pretty nature animation you've had the phil collins songs which are whatever but they're still (laughs) chill phil collins songs instead of in your face broadway songs that are telling you everything you need to know about these characters no sequence of sounds you can make 
will ever convince me that any Phil Collins song in a Disney movie is better than Belle. Like it's not better. Absolutely not. But it's better. <laughs> it's not better, but it's less abrasive. It's less unpleasant. It's less it's, abrasive. It, Phil yeah, Collins it, literally narrating what's on screen is less abrasive than the characters speaking for themselves. He's not narrating what's on screen, though, really. He's just A paradise a untouched by man. Yeah. Now but, the camera pans into this lagoon. <laughs> These words are vague enough that I can sell this song elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, true, yeah, fair enough. Well, that's in Tarzan. Have you seen Brother Bear? <laughs> Brother Bear is amazing. He properly narrates what's on screen in that one. It's great. No, I'm making fun. I actually always quite like the songs in Tarzan. I think they're, they're, it was certainly an interesting... It was something to try, and it was interesting. It doesn't satisfy me greatly, but like, I did love that it allowed them to do sort of musical montages like... Uh, Strangers like me. But so what I'm trying to say is like the character beats that you get here at the beginning are Gaston is selfish and he's arrogant and he wants Belle. The next character beat is like Lefeu making fun of Belle's dad and Gaston's like, ah, ha, ha. And Belle's like, that's mean. He's like, yeah, that's mean. And he slaps him and it's just everyone being mean to one another. Yeah. The beats that you have at this point in Tarzan are beats like Tarzan's with his mother, and his mother knows that he's there, and it's like saying, oh, I can read your mind. It's like, oh, she's like his proper mother, and she, th- this is just a scene of her being a mother to him and th- yeah. them having that relationship. And then there's Kid Tarzan hanging out with the Rosie O'Donnell monkey or whatever. That scene is just about him having a friend and establishing that that's his home and that the most unresolved moment isn't people being mean and those people need to be sorted out. It's Tarzan looking at his hand next to his mother hand and noticing that it's different. And yeah. that's and that's a brilliant show-don't-tell scene. That's a scene where you see him feeling that he's different instead of him saying, oh, I feel different. I'm yeah. gonna leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eagle-eared listeners will have heard me drawing in breath to make an urgent comment when Ewan brought up the scene where they compare the hands just there. And Disney Renaissance fans will have taken in that same breath to make the same comment I wanted to. But I deliberately didn't make it, because it would be spoilers. And also he's right, isn't he? It's a good visual image, undermined slightly by the fact that that scene only happens in Tarzan because of a similar scene in what we consider a better film. Rather like the bit where Tarzan says, and I'm... Well, look at me! Around the same point in the film, which is a line bafflingly stolen from Beauty and the Beast. I really enjoyed Tarzan, but it was an odd one. But we'll talk about the hand sizes thing as we move forward through the Pantheon, but that's for the future. What I set out to do with Serious Miss This was to find out what younger animation fans might think if they saw these films for the first time today. And yes, indeed, the thing I feared has happened. Just a few short years later... Despite the roaring success of these films, the industry moved away from what made these films so special, and our concerns at the time were well-founded. A whole generation grew up seeing the things that were so good about the miracle that was 90s Disney as old-fashioned, tacky, and unnecessary. When Disney embraced musicals, they were making the best-loved ones in the world, and when they decided, randomly or not, although it coincided with the death of Howard Ashman, a story that's told in two documentaries on Disney+, Plus that anyone listening to this will ravenously enjoy, called Waking Sleeping Beauty and Howard. When they decided to pivot away from making animated musicals, the entire art was all but lost. 
with people of Ewan's generation feeling that the comfortable building blocks of an animated film are either the breezy silence of a Ghibli, which we like as well, or else the obnoxious musical pantsing that is I like to move it, or Smash Mouth, or whatever other nonsense they have, just minions doing scream barbershop or whatever. It's a similar sort of loss as that time when Disney decided it was going to be all 3D from now on and went so far as to burn the 2D animators' desks, and the kids don't even feel it. But at this point I'm going to pull the curtain back, because any exasperation I've been showing has just been part of the bit, and any exasperation Ewan has been causing was all a trick of editing. Ewan was not in fact being in the least bit exasperating about any of this in real life. Actually, he's great, and we had a, an hours-long conversation that I had to edit down into tiny chunks to fit it into this. And so I selected the bits that best fit into the sort of comedy narrative I've been coming up with where I'm all curmudgeonly and old, and he's all silly and young, and we're both wrong. Which now I'm regretting a bit, because I want, Ewan's a really good internet thing-maker, and I want you to go and enjoy his stuff. Ewan never claimed... B-movie was better than Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> for instance, despite my editing trickery, and I do urge you to go and see his Brightside Ewan YouTube channel to make up for it. Brightside Ewan, he's got lots of really good videos about films. Sorry, Ewan. Um, but it isn't fair on my listeners that I've chosen uh, parts of the conversation that I thought might wind them up. Um, perhaps they can forgive me if they know that mostly I did it because I thought it might annoy Jahan. Uh, <laughs> But uh, for a sense of closure, here is a response that I did give to some of the points that you've been hearing, even if they weren't said in quite the same tone as I've made them sound like they were here. And here is how we wound up that section of the conversation, having wound up that section of the, uh, <laughs> the hosts. <laughs> the long and the short of it is, if you don't think that the song Bell is brilliant, then you won't understand why Beauty and the Beast is so good, because that's what's so good about it. It's the, It's the fact that this song can roll and bumble along, cutting from place to place, from character to character, all these people can come forward onto the stage and tell you what they want. And yet it all fits together in this one song and it all just slots together nicely. That is what is good about it. And I guess I've never really compared that to the rest of the film. For me, the rest of the film is just the rest of Beauty and Beast. I don't really have anything to say about it structurally or anything like that. I just, yeah, I just like it. Um, but... Now that you've pointed out to me how everyone spends the rest of the film essentially coming forward to the front of the stage saying what they're into, what they're doing, where they are, and then moving to the back of the stage for the next thing, maybe there is a maybe there's a parallel there. Maybe that's the way the film presents itself throughout. It's possible, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a comparison other people make. I do think it's a step up from Little Mermaid in the sense that I don't prefer it to The Little Mermaid, mind you, personally. And it was less exciting at the time. Um, but part of that is because, I don't know, it was... Well, look, honestly, a little bit more for girls than Little Mermaid I perceive to be. I think people think of Little Mermaid as a purely as a film for girls, but, like, it wasn't to me. It had cool songs in it and Sebastian and stuff. I just thought it was really cool. But, um... Uh, I this one I think I felt a bit of that distance from me as an audience member because you know this was we already had Ninja Turtles at this point you know so I was aware of what I was being targeted with but I unabashedly loved it it just wasn't quite the hit to the excitement cortex that uh, Little Mermaid was for me but I do recognize it as being more cohesive as a story I guess 
yeah, Beauty and the Beast, the things it has in it are very simple building blocks, but they they at least are the correct ones where you have this character and this character and they're going to have to interact in this way and here's space for some songs to happen and it, it, it you know it makes sense the and maybe so disney got the reputation that it got for this renaissance and mm. maybe i just like am wanting it to happen too fast like i watched little mermaid and recognized that it was janky mm. but i accepted that it was janky because i understood that it was the first one and that, like, I, I can see the merit that they would then replicate yeah. once you've lifted out the jank. And the jank has not yet, in this one, been fully lifted out. Yeah. And I shouldn't have expected it to be, really, because, like, you're not going to fix that immediately. It was quite a while ago now that we, we did Little Mermaid, so mm. I might have just, like, forgotten quite how much jank there was and ha- what I should expect from the animation. Because when I watched this, having never watched it, my expectations are formed entirely out of the ridiculous gold standard that this yeah. is held to be. Yeah, and you haven't said anything that I think of as unfair. Like, you, you know, don't don't, like, pretend that it's good for my benefit. <laughs> as you're watching these things but also the things that it is the context for mm. are allowed to be more impressive than it without yeah. like i think that entirely taking away from what it set the standard for even if i like really struggle to see that standard being set when i'm not there yeah. when i'm not in 1991 when i come back to these things that i haven't seen i want to like them because i know that i should like 2d animation because yeah. we don't have it anymore. yeah that's why like i like land before time because i watched land before time for the first time like last summer and i'm watching it thinking we don't have movies that look like this anymore i really appreciate all of the ways that this is pretty. But so when I come to Beauty and the Beast and then it's all janky faces and Gaston not being quite as fun to watch as I want him to be, I'm struggling to like the animation even though I know I should because it's 2D, but it's not getting to the point where that's good enough for it. In a way that old Disney like 101 Dalmatians or Pinocchio, I could watch and go, oh yeah, I can. this is what 2D animation is meant to look like. And that's it, isn't it? The groundwork laid by Beauty and the Beast meant that films that came after it could speak in its new language and take it further, which naturally leaves the foundational films trailing behind if you weren't there to see its merit at the time. We think of the Disney Renaissance as the height of Disney magic, but really the the basis of that feeling was that this group of people had decided they were going to excel in a way that Common Wisdom said only their old dying masters ever could. And if Disney was failing to provide that magic, then they'd figure out ways to teach themselves to create it, and they did. And this was the period in which they were doing it. An evolutionary process, not a sudden inexplicable creation out of thin air that's already at its peak. Back then to the main conversation. We think we've finished, which means there's a good hour left. I've still got some leftover notes to get through and see what Jahan thinks about them. So here we go then. Time to tidy all the last bits away. The film wound us up, and now here's the wind down. Have we run out of this film now? Just about. What have we done? Characters. Story. Nitpicks, generally. Whinging. Songs. Songs. Dan Stevens' Kermit voice. (laughs) There's definitely no... Oh. I don't know if I'll put this in the podcast, but... Look up the interviews with the director. His voice is exactly Lorenzo music. And it's amazing. (laughs) 
Well, that's a good question, you know. You understand that this one woman and this one man really are a perfect match for each other. And out of the, that raises questions, you know, how did Belle and her father wind up in this village where they don't belong? Why are they there? Why do they stay there? What did happen to her mother, you know? As you start to do that, you're creating lasagna. Then there is no reason not to put that in the podcast. <laughs> well, like, it, it, the, the only person who would possibly... I just don't know if it's rude or not. I that. don't think it is. I think it's an, a, ma- a massive upgrade from anyone's voice. Yeah. But I think in Bill Con- maybe Gilbert's. <laughs> Friend of the show, Gilbert Gottlieb. <laughs> I think if Bill Condon listened to this, he'd yeah. be delighted right now. It, it'd, be, it'd, yeah. it'd be nice for him to have something to be delighted about. <laughs> exactly. Uh, from this podcast. And he seems so sincere. He's one of the... Yeah. Like Emma Watson, he's someone I don't want to hear this because... Yeah. I do feel like I'm being mean to people who did what they thought was a good thing. Yeah. Um, but Gaston thought what he was doing was good. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so we've learned from Beauty and the Beast that that's not always... No, it's not, it doesn't always get you all the way. Like, apparently it doesn't get you any other way. Because <laughs> that's, that's my problem with this film. I just... Yeah. I just feel like it's all wrong. It would it it is. It's all wrong. Every thing in it, all the moments are wrong and all the visuals are wrong. Yeah. And it, Th- in a way that's measurable because there's a right one mm. that we can just hold it up to and look at it. And it, they're doing the same thing but it's just bad. It's just and all it's, bad. Yeah. And it's not like Beauty and the Beast was just like some Oh, I had it on video, so I like it. No, it was the very it, that it got nominated for best picture, and yeah, that when that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, in the context of the time, that is equivalent to it won best picture. Yeah, like, exactly. It, yeah, because animated films just weren't even allowed on the list at all. No, and it got nominated for best picture. Yeah, couldn't win the Oscar, but it kind of did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. I think the song. I think won. Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it won some Oscars, but yeah. like... Oh, we're still talking about Beauty and the Beast. I haven't finished whinging about it. Sure. Their version of Beauty and the Beast, a couple of verses in, they just go, how about we screw with this? And they just screw with it. It goes suddenly into a different time signature. And it turns into what I'm sure resolves as a waltz. As if... And it's almost like one of those signatures. Really? Go- yeah. That. Yeah. It ends up as like... Duh, 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 duh. And, huh. and there's a moment where you're like... It, it it doesn't have that heavier beat, so for a while you're like, "Sorry, have you just forgotten to play the next note?" And you're like, "Whoa, whoa what's happening here?" Tale as old as time. As old as song. Bittersweet and strange, finding you can change. I'll need to re-listen to this, unfortunately. And then the whole back end of the song is just futzed with in that way, and it's all wrong. It's all just wrong. It really sounds... I mean, they changed the Oscar-winning song Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Is it the the only Oscar-winning Disney song? No, no. They they, they won those things all the bloody time. Did they, though? What with? Just... I agree they must have, but did they? I'm sure under Son the of sea, man, I, did that get an Oscar? I'm sure under the sea won one. <laughs> I'd like it if under the sea won. So let's 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 find see that out. if under. How the do sea. we find that out? Is there like a IMDb for Oscar-winning songs? Won the Academy Award for best original song. Under the sea. Yeah. Hey, high five. Okay. Weird though, right? Yeah. Because it is just a bit compared to Beauty and the Beast. It's a bit of a frivolous 
knockabout bit of daft silliness, isn't I it? I mean, to be honest, though, like... With... It's my favourite. I'm not going to go with it. But yeah. for in terms of, like, for Oscar consideration, like, under the sea, da, 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 it's, like, not really an, a Beauty and the Beast, is it? I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, the, the best song category is... It, it, it's kind of a bit of a free-for-all, isn't right. it? Like, bloody... I don't know. I never pay attention to it outside like, this. Like, Man or Muppet... From, uh, oh, really? from the Muppets, uh, oh. the recent Muppet movie, yeah. that one. Okay, fair enough. So, you know what I, I mean? Like... I have to throw away any respect I have for that. <laughs> that was a, I like that moment in the film, but yeah. that's not an Oscar-winning song. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. This is what my context, because I never know, I've never paid attention to what yeah. song wins an Oscar. But my context for it is, you know, when they were nakedly writing that new Les Mis song in order to win the Oscar, yeah, yeah. and it was like, I am a father who is already grieving in a way, and it, <laughs> yeah. it was like the Oscar-baitiest song available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't actually have to do that. Right. It just has to be a song that sort of catches on from a film that right. was good, you know, a lot of the time. Fair enough. Okay, but honestly, Beauty and the Beast does kind of fall into that latter category. It is yeah. like a... Without being a bait, it's not, you know, it's in no way a clickbaity song, but it, it it's... But it is what those sorts of songs aspire to pretend to be. Yes, exactly. Because it is a genuine, heartfelt version of that. Yeah. And they messed it up. Yeah. As they messed up everything. Yeah. To to take that and go, but we've got this this yeah. better right. We're going to draw the little Groucho, Groucho glasses on this. Lisa, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the whole film. That is yeah. the whole film. There's... <laughs> It's not a thing they do right. There isn't. To my mind. Including the song Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> which is just all laid out there for you. There's nothing they do right in Beauty and the Beast, including Beauty, the, <laughs> the Beast, Beast, and or Beauty, Beauty and, and the Beast. Beast. <laughs> and that's a problem. It is. Yeah, it's three problems. And it infuriates me yeah. when I hear frequently people talking about Aladdin yeah. Like it's this. Yeah. Yeah. The idea took people to Aladdin, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, these three remakes, yeah. is like, yeah, they're all part of the same slurry yeah. of, uh, of kind of, you know, you know, like acceptable mediocrity. It's like, no, no, yeah. they are not. Definitely not. They're not, uh, no. no. <laughs> one of them is, one of them is good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> one is, in the final analysis, unfortunately mediocre. Yeah, but has great scope and artistry within it. And one is utterly unacceptable. Yeah. And that that gradation is as clear to me as night and day. Yeah. Like, Aladdin is not like this film. It's just not. Yeah. It's like... And it's... I don't know. No, I, I, anyway. Do you have a theory on what how someone would see the two things the same. Well, yeah, by not watching them. Yeah. By not watching them and by just sort of... And and I can't really fault anyone for it. We are a bit weird for yeah. bothering with any of this. Yeah. Like, because the people who are... You know, obviously families are going to watch this because families are desperate for five minutes together where their kid will sit down and be yeah. quiet. The, of course, and, and then... Or they could have a loving family experience together. <laughs> Which is what the, you know, because I would. That's what I would say about the original films. You know? Yeah, yeah. But like, you what you go and see these films if you are a a family or b committed to making a podcast series about <laughs> everybody else. The people, the people who, frankly, you're likely to hear their negative opinions about a film on the internet anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's no reason for them to go to see this, and so they probably haven't. Yeah. But nevertheless, 
you know, look, we are now in a time where this is why we're doing this. We are now in a time where people who don't know the thing, yeah, but are sitting in the we're the people with opinions stool are the people whose opinions get to be the mainstream, the opinions about stuff. So here we are going like, well, we're going to actually give these the time of day. Yeah. And actually, actually watch them and find out what the reality is. Yeah. And sometimes on maybe two occasions, that has been worth doing for us. <laughs> and the rest of the time. <laughs> well, look, it's always worth giving them the time of day. Yeah. But sometimes they don't give you anything back. Yeah. And this film was... It was it was mean to me, and I'm telling Miss. <laughs> yeah, like that's it. There's there's nothing really much else to say about this. It's like it's just it's unpleasant. <laughs> it is, and I do feel bad for the the people involved. Either because you know, uh, uh, in my head, they hear me say this, yeah, or because they see the film, like yeah, so. The director seems like a nice guy and he seems to have the right idea like when you listen to him talk about what he wants this to be. Yeah. You know, poor old Emma Watson convinced that she was making the new version of Beauty and the Beast for yeah. the next girls like her when she was that age to yeah. grow up with as their, well, iTunes download they wear out. <laughs> um, and like, it won't be. No. I d- I'm sure, I'm sure there are kids everywhere who watch this film over and over again i'm, I'm absolutely sure yeah that. i watched the brave frog more than once so it doesn't tell you anything <laughs> um but like beauty and the beast the real one yeah is the real one and yeah. it always will be and it's not just because it's all right it's noteworthily groundbreakingly very very exceptionally good yeah it is i said it kind of as a joke it is the last the dying creative words of a master children's entertainer yeah. who we miss and who absolutely should not be undermined with something like this. <laughs> no. Um, it is. I'm sorry, it is. I know that's a bit beside the point, but it is. Yeah. And up until now, nothing has managed to undermine that. And everything has always... The stage version, yeah. the re-released film version, yeah. has always added to that added and to respected the legend, that. Yeah. yeah. And this... This detracts from so many things. It's, you know, the, the film, the work of the people who made the film, the work of the people who made this film. Yeah. All of, all of whom, individually, put in good work. Yeah. That candlestick is beautiful if you see it on a table yeah, in a yeah. stately home. Um, you know, um, some other stuff's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, the set design is... The, the the orchestra plays beautifully. Yeah. The set design is good. Yeah. Um, Alan Menken has written a couple of nice new tunes for this, yeah. even if I'm unsatisfied with how they, they work. Yeah. He did it. He would ne- I know he wouldn't disrespect his work or Howard's no, I to know. make this. So like, he'll have he taken this so seriously. Very, very seriously. Uh, I feel like if they'd consulted him properly during the development stage, then he might have said, like, yeah, we've already done yeah. everything you're trying to do here, and it's perfect. Yeah. Can we do this? Well, and, not and, perfect. and you're f***ing <laughs> it up right now. Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a bit on the uh, the the big sort of uh, not round table but long table discussion with the cast and director yeah. where Alan's there and the almost, I think it's the closing remark is he says my ethos in making this project was don't screw it up and then he quickly says I meant me I was talking about me right and he said that because um, I, I please understand I'm not putting snarky words in his mouth he said yeah. that yeah. because he realised he'd said something as if he was in charge of everyone else. Yeah, and he just went, yeah. oh, I know I can only speak for myself, but that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. But it, it now, in retrospect, does kind of come across as like, 
But they did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. But they did. They did. It's and they like, didn't have to. No. The blueprint was there, both in film and an expanded version on the stage. And it's really unfortunate. And I bet, Tom, I bet Tom Schumacher was in the room, because his yeah. credit and Julie Tamor's come up at the end of The Lion King, yeah. and they made that, yeah. and he made this, the stage version of this. So I'm sure he was consultable. What happened? It's really unfortunate, because like this one, much more than like Alice yeah. or Maleficent, it does feel like you're in the original movie's house, pooping on the carpet. Yeah. Like... It doesn't feel like you... up its paintings. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Wait, do you think that the pooping on the carpet thing happened in Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, that was in the original. R- right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see that in the light and Blu-ray version. Yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. That's why they had to clean up the, the castle. <laughs> what a shame. Because this could yeah. have been... If this had been what they obviously all set out to make, it could have been gorgeous. Yeah, that's it. And it's... And it isn't... And it's something that, like... It's like it's, you know, this feels it feels again like hyperbole to say it, but I genuinely think that if there's some way that culture could just forget that this was made, yeah, let's have the Daisy Ridley version with whoever else it was that you said, <laughs> Rene Aubergine. Yes, yeah. yeah. God, I'd yeah. love that so much. Yeah. Can we just wait? Am I just imagining this, or are they doing some sort of live version? No, it's no, it's Little Mermaid they're doing. Oh, yeah, the only one I can remember. And this is a good one, is that Sebastian is going to be played by Shaggy. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah. This is one of those, you know, that da-da-da live broadcast that they've been doing. That's amazing. They're doing Little Mermaid. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> wow. That's not... No, I, geez. That's no. blown my mind. <laughs> Let me find out who else they've got. Hang on. Oh! Uh, Ariel's going to be played... And, hey... I've got no reason to complain about the girl who's playing her in the in the film. I'm sure she'll be sure, great. We don't. Well, she's an unknown quantity to me completely. Right. So. But Moana is a known quantity, and they've got her on to play the Little Mermaid. Wow. The, exactly. That face you just did was yeah. what I did. Yeah. Exactly. I'm so excited. What's this for? Why? Just a live... It's just Little Mermaid live. Like, they do... They did Rent live a couple of years ago. They, they were in Jesus Christ Superstar live. They Now and then, they just do these live... It's just a thing that happens. I don't know what yeah. channel it is, but they've been doing them for the last few years. That'll be making a point of seeing that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, Shaggy. <laughs> I know. Didn't know, know. he was still around. <laughs> yeah, well, he's been practicing for this. Clearly. I he's... mean, I'm sure he's going to be dreadful, but it's going to be great. <laughs> Maybe they'll just hit that. Kind of Will Smith as the genie sweet spot. I hope so. Maybe. I don't oh, know. Uh, Ursula, Queen Latifah. Right. Right. Sh- sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. It's going to be really good. Yeah. And I'm worried that it is going to undermine the film if it's, yeah. a, if it's a Beauty and the Beast rather than Aladdin. But yeah. Lynn's in the room and I for now trust him on this. Yeah, we'll see. Like, Rob Marshall as a director blows hot and cold a little bit. Uh, who's that? He's the guy who did Chicago... Oh, into the woods. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, into the woods, and this bodes yeah. ill for Little Mermaid. Uh, very egregious overuse of da, 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 breaking up songs. Yeah. There was a whole bit where the whole point of it is that the witch is all the lines are together. Yeah. It was the bit where she's describing the fact that the baker's dad stole from her garden. Right, yeah. And it was. But how was I to know what your father had also hid in his pocket? What? 
Beans! Beans! The special beans! I let him go. I didn't know he'd stolen my beans. I was watching him crawl back over the wall and then bang! Crash! And the lightning flash! And well, that's another story. Never mind. I know why at last the big day came. And they broke that up. Oh. They went bang, crash of the lightning flash. I was watching him crawl back over the wall when bang, crash of the lightning flash. story never mind anyway at last the big day came it was the worst uh, example i've ever seen of, of that exact thing so right. rob marshall loves that i guess with that said with that said i thought he did good with uh mary poppins returns ah haven't seen it yet i will ha- i'm going to see that i one. liked it do should we count that as a, as a disney's why not? Why not? Why not? We'll run out of films, won't we, otherwise? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Chicken Why moment. not? Yeah. Be really a bit of inter- levity after Dumbo or before Dumbo. Oh, God, yeah. It'll be before Dumbo, so. Yeah. Uh, that's one to look forward to, because I enjoyed that one. Yeah. And, hey, look, we're already forgetting about Beauty and the Beast 2017. Hey! God, I can't wait till they get to Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I know. Imagine, imagine like, what a great adaptation Renee they could do of both the... In it. Yeah, exactly. It'd be the music. It'd be the whole musical. Whole, because yeah. it's not that long of a musical, and, we, and movie musicals are kind of a viable thing again, especially what with Cats. Yep. So, exactly. like, just to film the whole thing. Yeah. What they should do, they should get Angela Lansbury back. Yes. And then digitally and then we'll DH digitally, her. Yeah, yeah, to look like Bedknobs era... I'm thinking like Murder She Wrote, but like sense? in the Murder She Wrote clothes. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Then like the end, she investigates a murder and all that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Oh, it's gonna be really good. Oh, I can't wait. I know. I hope they don't just screw it up. Yeah, that'd be so depressing, and I wouldn't want to talk about it anymore. Or watch it ever again. Or watch it ever again. Theoretically, never have to watch it ever again. No, theoretically not. But I will. <laughs> I know I will because I'm like that. <laughs> I'm like that. Yeah. Hey, oh. at least he got Aladdin as a chaser now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, He's always one jump ahead, isn't he? <laughs> uh, um, every moment, red letter. <laughs> uh, go away! Go away! <laughs> Except, obviously, not. This is not the end of the episode. I don't remember now what happened, but I think... Looking over the... Uh, it's taken me a long time to edit this, and that's because there's all sorts of bits and bobs in funny places. And looking at it, I think what's happened is that after having finished, or having ostensibly finished, maybe we went away and had some food together. Yeah, looking at the timestamp, we definitely did. This was later at night. We were exhausted by now. Our voices were packing in. We were extremely knackered and would have enjoyed going to sleep. And then I just realised I had these chronological notes that I'd made while I was watching the film. Basically everything I hadn't yet been able to nitpick about. Every little whinge I hadn't yet made. And I don't like making little whinges and nitpicks, but I don't know. It made me feel as if there was some stuff that I hadn't been able to get out of my system, you know? That I needed to say something about. And so I just cracked open the file, and I just read through them. One by one, directionless bullet points, roughly in the order that they are in the film, to see what me and Jahan had to say about them. So mostly we've finished the the meat of our discussion, and now we're just going to essentially tidy away any of the little bits that we haven't talked about yet. And if there's any little bits that you listening to this felt like we should have mentioned, maybe we will in this this bit here. So, 
Call it an extra feature. Here's that. I do have chronological notes like I did with Frozen, but we yes. don't want this podcast to be like that. No, because I felt like Frozen was something that it was okay for us to talk about for eight hours. Yes. It's not okay to talk about this. For no, eight we hours. don't. We don't want to be in that space. So no. instead, I'm. I am going to read through them and just say to Jahan the things and. And if any of it ends up in it, then it ends up in it. Sure. Um, my first note was a surprise at the opening that the voiceover was not Cogsworth this time for the first time. And Cogsworth this time was Ian McKellen. So it's like, <laughs> well, okay. Oh, I didn't realise that the original narrator was him, actually. Yeah? Okay, yeah. Yeah, doing yeah. just normal person voice. Yeah. Uh, and on stage, it's him again. Right, Ian okay, yeah. Turn up, but it was recorded. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually quite liked the ball song. It's just that it was extremely extraneous and shouldn't have been there. Yeah, it just it just delays the film getting started. Like you're, when you're watching that scene, everyone there knows this is mm. the prologue. This should last thirty seconds. Yeah. And I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do to expand that scene that's going to make anyone think anything other than, yeah, you could have said this in thirty seconds because we've seen it done in thirty seconds. Yeah. Why have they decided in this version to put their house? right in the middle of town, instead of on the outskirts. Because that was just a metaphor for them being outcasts, so why throw that out and undermine the visual language? There. Because they were all about undermining the visual language. There we go. <laughs> um, little town, the words little town, one of the more auto-tuned things I've ever heard. Little town. Yeah. And it surely wouldn't take long to train anyone up to be able to sing that Little line. town. Little yeah. town. That's it. Um, whereas this sounds like Hatsune Miku. <laughs> Before... Wow, they completely screw up an open goal with the je ne sais quoi joke. Do you remember that? Um... It's like, it has a certain... And then loads of people have done the joke where it's like, they, they go, they, they're trying to think, what phrase describes something and they land on like, I don't know what. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And then here they are French. Yeah. And the the one they go with is like a certain je ne sais quoi. And Gaston just goes, I don't know what that means. And that's the joke. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This French person. <laughs> oh, in Belle, one of the background characters sings, what lovely flowers. And it's grapes. And we've known it's grapes for like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you change it to what lovely flowers? The only possible thing I can think of is that the set dressers failed that day and they just had them go, you know, like as if it was a live thing. Like, what lovely flowers? (laughs) Ground. So so it was the equivalent of that stage Maurice doing the little dance. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I feel like. Why else would you change it? What lovely flowers? Is there a line that it's meant to rhyme with in there? That's what I'm thinking. Um, That they also changed, maybe. Well, no, it's the only line they changed. That's weird. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, Just watch I'm going to make Belle my wife, and then they suddenly do a chord change. Just watch I'm going to make Belle my wife. And then it says Y in great big capital letters, because Belle is probably... One of the most honed-to-perfection songs in cinema history. Kinda, yeah. 
I think this is um, it's Maurice exploring the castle for the first time and yeah. the, the note that I made here when I was watching it for the first time is this rose conceit is absolutely ridiculous right. of course it's the thing about Maurice going like oh I've escaped the castle oh I'll tell you what I'll pick a rose off this and yeah. then the beast going like I've I just paused in there to not do the story for a while so that you could come out here to do this yeah let's resume the story yeah in you come I know even though you just fled from the castle yep Clearly leaving. It's yeah. fine. It's what I want. Yeah, yeah. But my yeah. all my plants, as we establish later, magically regenerate when felled. <laughs> and just the fact that he would stop in that garden, yeah, having fled from the terrifying magic yeah. house, he goes. Oh, tell you what, actually, <laughs> I've just remembered. Yeah, I feel like Bell wouldn't really grind his balls too hard about not bringing back a rose. I don't know that that's the phrase. <laughs> yeah? I'll grind your balls to make my bread. <laughs> Isn't that what Bell says? Uh, In Bell's Enchanted Christmas? I don't think you're a big enough fan. You haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> what have I put together there? Grind his gears yeah. and bust, bust his, his balls. balls. Yeah, oh, then I stand by it. That's perfectly acceptable. Grind your balls. Uh, okay. <laughs> um... I'm going to grind my father's balls. <laughs> my daughter, odd. Where are we going to <laughs> After she takes Lumiere, there's a real bit of crap where Cogsworth poses and makes noises. I've an idea what they were trying to communicate there, but you have to use guesswork instead of just seeing it. <laughs> I didn't like the animation where the beast, uh, where Bell's talking to him in the prison. I like the design of the prison. That cool little round bit in a deep in, shaft. That yeah, was, that was cool. Yeah. Lots of design I like in this. Um, but the beast jumps down. But the way he does it is he like... He jumps and then... And I mentioned it before, kind of hits an invisible wall and just goes down. Yeah. It's yeah. not... The weight isn't there. It doesn't feel like... I know. It's, Mario Kart. <laughs> it's just so odd that... I mean, it's what it is. Is It's an ice climber jump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and no one holds that up as a good example of jumping physics. <laughs> no. Um... But it's just so weird that this Disney film has bad animation in it. Yeah. A moment... Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A moment of praise. Uh, they actually do keep the beast in shadow this time, at least. So but I think they did in the original before they messed it up. Well, yeah. And then... Oh, this bit made me laugh. Um, Belle says of her father in the prison, I need a moment with him. And the beast goes, all right, and turns to go and starts walking away. And yeah. Belle says, Are you so cold-hearted you won't allow a daughter to kiss her father goodbye? No, he did. He's, <laughs> he's actually stopped him. He's walking away. Yeah, yeah. All right. I yeah. Guess that's that confrontational feminist. Right. Exactly. Coming through. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, oh my God. The beast doesn't let her out of the tower and instead she's broken out by Lumiere. Presumably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not only do we not get you want you want to stay in the tower, yeah. Not, we don't even get you want to stay in the tower, like in the IMAX recut. Yeah, we he just literally he doesn't do it. Yeah, it under it, and I've put presumably this is a deliberate decision, and that they were trying to undermine the beast's humanity so that he has to acquire it all rather than having the capacity inside him. But wow, that feels soulless. Yeah, and it's as it turned out, it was just one of many such moments. Yeah, as it turns out, this beast's just a dick. Yeah. I've been burnt by you before is now about nothing and not a joke. Now, what did I mean by that? 
I guess. Oh, it's because before he's going like. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Whereas in this, it's that's not there. That is it not? Well, not in that playful way. He's more like, oh, my dear, let's do big sweeping movements because we can't animate this in yeah. a small and personal way. That's actually a really good approximation of Ewan McGregor's it's right, wasn't it? French yeah. accent. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that one of them has randomly turned into a bird. That is not a household object. Right. Do you know why they've made that decision? Because I don't. What's the precedent? She's a bird. The feather duster is just a flying bird now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's like a bird design feather duster, isn't she? And so she has bird powers. She can fly. Like, are feather dusters bird shaped sometimes? And if so, why wouldn't it? Because it's not practical. It's not feather dust she hasn't got really, really got a handle anymore yeah it's just a bird <laughs> yeah I, I kind of overlooked that like and I guess it's sort of that one of those things where Lumiere's designer's yeah. just a brass man yeah it kind of like lowers your defences for the idea that oh this feather duster's a bird is, is a wrong thing yeah that makes sense in this yeah yeah um, the wardrobe is actually a brilliant bit of design. I like the wardrobe um, design, yeah. Or it would be if it didn't look so much like muscle tissue trying to flap to form words around a removed jawbone. It really don't... looked vocal cordsy to me. Which, also, actually quite good design. Yeah. Because she's an opera, opera singer. singer. yeah. But, ugh! I thought it was grotesque. I really thought it was... Yeah. M- meat flappy looking. I thought it was horrible. But still brilliant. you got to take it as a wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah, really. That's all you can. Oh do. yeah, I only mean the I only mean the curtains. But of yeah. course, it's great that they made this wardrobe look itself like the interior of a theatre. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they did that brilliantly by flapping these curtains of meat. That's what vocal cords are. Yeah, it's what we have in our throats, and yeah. so it kind of looked gross. To but me. I don't want to see that. No, <laughs> I don't want to see that on the outside of someone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here we go. I'm sure we'll both have something to say about this. Chips acrobatics. Absolutely at odds with the recording of his voice and with what filmmaking is. It looks like a dodgy 2002 video game cutscene or theme park ride. What was he doing again? What I'm referring to here is that at almost all times when you see Chip, he's just flinging through the air. Yeah. Just shooting around. And the worst moment, and I'm sure there'll be a note about this, but the worst moment is right at the end when they're all turning back and then someone looks up and goes, Chip! And Chip is like, ah, on one of his big fling arounds. Yeah. But there's nothing there. It's There's there's nowhere for him to have come off. No, I know. I know. I didn't understand where he was flying in from. Yeah. Why is he constantly flying? Yeah. And while he's flying, he's like, you know, oh, the master says we should, like, it's, it, yeah. he's not going like, ah! <laughs> he just I, I'm, talks. I'm, I'm about to be shattered into a million That's pieces. the thing. It's a yeah. very mortal situation for him. Oh, to be, look, I don't, again... I don't want to say too much about it, but I did not enjoy Chip in this film. They tend to say, if a kid actor gives a bad performance, it's the director's fault and it's not the kid's fault. Yeah, absolutely. But they just clearly picked this kid up from bloody renter gavroche <laughs> you know you know the shop you know, know the the t- you know the caliber of person I know it well. they get from yeah. there. Like, I'm not... I, no, not a fan. Not a fan, not like... I didn't like it. Makes me think of... What's that director's name? The guy who does The Virtues and This Is England and all that. Shane Meadows? Shane Meadows. Yeah. He... I've never seen a child be, like, anything less than the best actor I've ever seen in any of his things. Yeah. And he literally doesn't cast actors. He just finds a child and just, like, 
you can do it. It can be yeah. done. You can make children act. On the other hand, I feel like Shane Meadows' Beauty and the Beast. Gimme! Is gonna be. <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme! Listen, Aladdin! <laughs> there was no precedent for that. Yeah, it, I guess it. No, I suppose. Guy could definitely not do this either, but he did. Yeah, okay, fine, Shane. You know. What what Disney film that they've not done yet should Shane Meadows do? Empress Let's New- take em- that seriously for a moment. Empress New Groove. <laughs> Let's take that seriously for a moment. Uh-huh. Because, because there are... Hunchback? I'm trying to think what's serious. No, too mm. operatic for him. It needs to too be something operatic, down yeah. to earth. Um, oh, ah, oh, I got it. The Fox and the Hound. But it's told from the like from human perspectives. But also you get like... Like they're they're aware that they're fox and they're hound. Like it's these two people who have a, a who have like they hate each other. Yeah. But they're fox and hound. One of them is a fox. Are getting along. Yeah. And like and then eventually the 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 one with the hound is hired to actually like there's a hunt and he's hired to get the fox. Okay. And so it it plays out as a drama between the two people. Okay. Right. Shane could do that. <laughs> Bring him up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was, just, I was just vamping to undermine the structure of the song there. Because that's what we're doing today. I'm starting to get quite a throat ache. That's fine. Um, I died. You can't have many more, right? No. Yeah. Show me the smile. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. They tell the beast to smile. Show me the smile. It shows the heritage this film has in Lawnmower Man, Moonwalker. <laughs> the ugliest CG I think I've ever seen and not in the funny way no, they think no exactly it's such a grotesquely bad design yeah it's not nothing about it works no. nothing I love Ian McKellen and he's crap in this no acting at all yeah he might as well be reading the phone book or a shopping list or the script to Tim Burton's Alice <laughs> Yeah, they've just asked him uh, asked him to grumble some bits. Yeah. Some gags. Some really He lo- looks like he can't move. He looks like he's too old to be in things anymore. But I know that just recently he was bringing the house down with a one man show on yeah, stage. Yeah. That's not his problem. I mean, bear in mind he was playing a clock. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, but I mean, that's the way he sounds when he's playing the clock and looks when he's in not it later the clock. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, he does like he do- does he even move? Like when he turns human, I just have this picture of him standing there and just vaguely twitching, twitching one of his mustaches. Yeah, <laughs> one of his mustaches. I was using the anachronistic form and saying his mustaches. Yes, that is perfectly accurate English. What just got shouted through our window there? Well, I don't know, but I think it was someone complaining about me using the word mustaches, presumably. One of his mustaches. One of his mustaches. One of his mustaches. I'm sure they said, like, look. Maybe th- maybe this is my... Oh, ima- wait. It was Abby. Was it? What do you think she shouted? I heard your podcast sucks. <laughs> One of his mustaches. <laughs> well, it was definitely Abby. Right. <laughs> okay, okay. Hello. Yeah, the reason there is you. <laughs> so if your hand just actually thought it was someone else, your podcast sucks. <laughs> That was absolutely bizarre. No, that's fine. I was just, I was just very confused. That was very funny. It was. But I was just like, what has just happened? I didn't even hear it. I just heard the fact that yeah. there was a shouting voice. Yeah. I heard the actual words. Yeah. 
So in some ways, like we could have convinced him that it was entirely in his own head. Yeah. Oh, I thought I just missed. I thought there's no voice. way I heard that. Oh, yeah. Me and you, Johan. I'm gonna have the use. Oh, oh. Yeah, what? What? It's Dave. Not. I, it just has a trouble eating from. Me. <laughs> I find yeah. them very difficult. Oh, okay, right. Go right down my front. But I, I think... really wanted. I wanted these. I might. I might have one. Yeah. I thought you were like on some diet or something. No. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I'm just an Right. I'm gonna go. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go lie down. We're not gonna be long. Sorry. Right. Sorry about this. This is a run longer than maybe we'd uh, planned. Oh, and that's been running the whole time, so we could just carry on. Um, my note here is someone has directed Emma Thompson to speak slowly, and it sounds like she's trying to talk to a deaf old pensioner. Yeah, like I say, I, I just feel like that's that accent. Mm. That accent that I just don't think adds up to anything and just, like I say, comes across as a little bit... It's pantomime Yeah. You know, it's... I don't... Don't like it. <laughs> oh, a cool dude. A cool dude! Yes! So cool. We love cool dudes. Um, here's a bit of praise. They have Lumiere and Cogsworth's West Wing gaff happen several scenes before she finds it and just wanders in, which for, which I actually think is a good change suited to this format. Uh, not in the original film. It was I wouldn't want it changed there. It's perfect. Yeah. But for this expanded, realistic version, for them to make the gaff and her to later act on it, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um... Although it, it leaves the question of you know, how she knows where it is, but I suppose you just see where the East Wing is and extrapolate from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, West Wing scene is fine. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, we never mentioned this. Belle tries to escape, and the objects all try to lock her in. No, no, bad. Did they try and lock yes, her in? She's running for the door. They straight away lock down all the windows and doors. They all shut them. They like she only gets out through the cat flap, dog flap. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. like, quick, lock, blah, 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 action stations. They lock the place down. Yeah. They try and keep her prisoner. Yeah, that's not right, is it? It's not. I mean, like, I can understand certain aspects of it from, from, like, an in-story perspective. But once again, though, like, <laughs> it's undermined by another choice they made, by having Lumiere be the person who lets her out later. Yeah. Once again, they can't even commit to a consistent tone with their baffling changes. Honestly, I had I had another note about this. There are parts of this film that feels like they put it together by having a pool of interns annotate each scene from the original film, like a separate intern yeah. per scene, and then they handed those in and and like got someone to film it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like there's no consistent like you know, that's the thing. It's like cinema sins is one thing, but like at least that's all written by the same person. <laughs> um. Oh my God, no. So, up until now, they've avoided every moment that made the beast appealing in the original. Right down to his fluffy animal look. In this, he's just a horrible man who shows Belle no pity at all. Then we get the, well, you, argument, which in the original film is a key moment where these characters visibly start to talk to each other as equals. And although there isn't warmth there exactly, it makes sense that their relationship could progress past this point. Here... It is what people who chucklingly insist the film's about Stockholm Syndrome want to paint it as. The horrid man is yelling at her, and she just starts to show pity for no reason. Is that how it happened? Well, it doesn't have the jokey aspect to it where you're laughing at their bickering. Yeah. It is, he's just shouting at her, and she's shouting at him, and then he turns over and grumpily goes to sleep. Yeah. And then, um, no, she doesn't start to show pity in that moment. In fact, that's when she goes to Mrs. Potts and says, why do you put up with him? Yeah. And that is when... 
Mrs. Potts starts telling her the backstory. And in this version, the reason we should care about the Beast isn't because he's lovable inside or any other reason. Yeah. It's because his abusive father abused him, and that's why he's grown up to be an abuser. A perfectly realistic and even perhaps socially relevant point to make, but yeah. not in a film where the girl sticks with the man and turns him good. Yeah. This is something that happens in real life and famously doesn't work. The moment you realise you're hoping to change an abuser with your love is the moment you must leave because broken abusing men almost never manage to change. Now that's yeah, not what no, this... That's, like, I can't... I... I'm right. not going to disagree with any of that. That's just... It's not what this film has her do, but no. it's, the, it, it's almost like it... I don't know, it's in the ballpark. But as a motivating decision in that moment, it's yeah. very, very wrong-headed and just different from the one that was there before. Yeah. And frankly, it feels... There is something there that wasn't there. <laughs> and it feels... it Again, though, it feels wrong-headedly like they've made the change with the intention of making it more feminine. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Like the... She's not taking his guff. Yeah. And so even now when he's grumblier, he she's still standoffish about it. Yeah. And it's only after he she hears this pitiable story yeah. that she changes her mind. But it's like, that's a much worse yeah. reason. And in- the story is that he's damaged by abuse. Yeah. That is... N- d- get out. Yeah. Get out! Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? That's a bad idea. That's a bad message. That's a bad example, yeah. And it's a bad message to add to Beauty and the Beast. Well, yeah. yeah. It's a bad message to add to this film that is already uh, unfairly accused of saying that. Mm. And that's a key example of now. No, it kind of actually is saying that. Mm. And it's clear they don't intend to say that and it's clear they're not intending to teach anybody that. Mm-hmm. But they've put in a bit of it when there wasn't something. Yeah. And then, <laughs> what's supposed to happen then in the in the original cut of the film is that it's at that point that we start to see into his dreams and we see the bit where his mother died. Yeah. I don't know whether I would say that if I'd watched that cut or not, but what I said in the notes when I watched it for the first time is that what happens next, having established that, that this is a person who is pegged for being an abuser, you know, it's probably going to be one. He certainly acts badly because of his abusive father. The camera then lovingly pans across this, this, this character as he sleeps, playing sweet music that says, isn't he lovely now that you know... That he's a monster and the staff will collude to keep Belle here against her will. And, and of course, yeah. it's starting the new song. Yeah. Which there's supposed to be a, a perhaps a certain amount of um, levity away from that. Not levity, but per- perhaps the seriousness of that previous moment yeah. is explained a bit or in some way balanced out by what happens next. But of course, yeah. it kind of doesn't now. So Yeah. Well, I, I think the intent of the moment is meant to be like... Now you see him in different light. Mm-hmm. Now you see him as the the, the poor victimised child he once was. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't excuse any of the things he's done. Yeah. And that's, again, not what the old film was doing. Mm. It wasn't asking us to take pity on him yeah. because there was some reason why he was the way he was. Exactly, yeah. It was asking us to, to feel compassion for him because it was clear that he was someone who was trying to change and was yeah. really like, he had all these barriers in his own head yeah. that were stopping him from making the progress that he genuinely clearly was attempting to make. Yeah. And we see him go through the process of, of deciding to make that attempt and, yeah. and, and, in a, and in a believable way that we feel he sort of deserves to be allowed to. I feel in this film he doesn't. at no point in the original movie is he not trying. Hmm? At no point. Literally, when you meet him in the present day or whatever, 
I don't feel that there's any state, or certainly at the point after Bella's met him, yeah. that he's not, there's not a large part in the back of his head that's like, i got to get this right, actually. Do you know what? Yeah, there's even a, even if you go right back to the moment where they, you know, make their deal and she's going to stay behind, there's a certain amount of sort of reluctance from the beast. Yeah, he's kind of like, would you, you would do that? Yeah, that's it. Thing. He does, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, he does, and I'd forgotten that because yeah. of this film, which therefore... This film has damaged my memory of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Okay. I actually think... So, let's have some praise for Emma Watson in this. Okay. I thought she did a perfectly good acting job during the library scene and the sure. something there scene. Yeah. Despite the material being trash, yep. I thought she handled it very well and yeah. acted the way that character ought to in that unacceptable yes. situation. And then I didn't, during uh, or just after something there, I didn't mind the scenes... I think it was during something. I didn't mind the acting scenes, the non-singing scenes between the two of them sitting in the little gazebo and talking about her town and stuff. I thought they were I sure they're both quite good in them. The yeah. trouble is that that scene and those scenes they're contextualized by a plot that ruins them. Yeah, this version of Belle has been warned by her captors that their master is an abuser. And yeah, she should not be falling for this. No, no, exactly, exactly. It just reframes everything about him in a really unpleasant way. The scene where they talk about her town being bad isn't dreadful, and it should have come before the song, in my opinion, because it's the only glimmer of pleasantness he's shown. So that could have led to her singing about, you know, new but a bit alarming. Yeah. So you're certainly alarming. Yeah, alarming, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what exact scene triggered this note, but it is, here we learn what they're going for. It's a twilight. It's a Fifty Shades. Beast is a nasty man who, this time for no reason, Belle falls in love with, and her love is what fixes him. And, as an extra point on the end of that, I guess this is more to do with the character changes on her side of it. What she gets at the end of it all, it feels a lot less wholesome as well. Yes. Because it's like, Belle, the wide-eyed romantic who has these dreams about, like, Mm. Prince Charming and all that, her falling for a lovely prince and becoming a real princess at the end is great. Belle, the supercilious snob who looks down on the people around her, being elevated to being a princess at the end, (laughs) again, feels just nastier. Yeah, it's like she's defeated the town. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I I proved that I was better than all you you suckers this whole time. You know what I mean? It does. And And that, yeah... That's something from that may have fitted in a previous Disney era, but certainly not this one. Yeah, and I can't imagine that she'd even go for... Like, yeah. if she was the person with the principles that she carries herself as having, would she even want to go and, like, be an opulent princess in, this, exactly. in the middle yeah. of this ball? Like... I think she would be happy at the outcome because she'd saved all of the servants. Yeah. Then we get the the flashback. And of course I've got some notes about this, but we've covered it, but I'll read them. Weird that they show us some random actor playing the younger Kevin Klein when Kevin Klein's younger self is a very famous and recognizable actor. Yeah. Everything else in this is awful and wrong. Why not Tarkin it? <laughs> there we go. We're back to the Tarkin idea. Also though, I felt like Kevin Klein was being made up to look older than he is. Maybe. He might so, he, maybe he just is that old, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, but like with all the kind of like old man beards yeah. and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly, shave him and it would be easier yeah. to, yeah. Like shave him completely. Shave him, yeah. <laughs> and then think about how to de-age him for that scene. Yeah, exactly. Aha, the first interesting new change. The villagers have found out that Gaston tried to kill Maurice by leaving him tied up for the wolves. They're turning on him, led by King George. And not, oh. <laughs> Sorry, that guy played King George when we saw Hamilton. Right, okay. Um, 
Another example of a potentially good scene spoiled by its context. There is no character-based reason why Gaston tried to kill Maurice, absolutely none. Whereas OG Gaston, while he was a terrible man, was always acting within a consistent character, this guy just does anything. Just whatever. He might as well be a latter Mike Myers character or someone from <laughs> Bayformers or something. <laughs> and then he goes up to LeFou and he says, LeFou, because it's on LeFou now to confirm or deny. Yeah. Did I, your oldest friend, try to kill the father of the only woman I've ever loved? And like, yeah. yeah. The film isn't answering its own question here. Yeah. Why would he do that? Why did he take Maurice out to help him in the first place? He said it was because he wants to marry Belle. But what? Well, I think it was, he took him out because he thought, like, sure, if I go along with this, maybe I can sort of impress the future in-law, mm-hmm. basically. And then the moment it became clear that, like, he started getting annoyed with it. Yes. And that he wasn't actually there because he believed in Maurice's story at all, and he was really just there to butter him up. Yeah. Then Maurice sort of is like, oh, well, the hell with you then. And then that's when he attacked him. But even then, that's not like Gaston's MO. Yeah, it it makes sense. Even if you say that you've changed Gaston now, that can make sense. But really all it feels like is a way of making the scene longer. When we know that he should have done this a minute ago, back at the pub or whatever. And as I say, my, my, my the bigger problem with that is that it completely changes the crazy Maurice dynamic. Yeah. Maurice no longer is a distrusted man in this community. Yeah. There's no reason anyone should believe Gaston, who appears to be much less popular and much more unstable. Yeah. Uh, a marked and deliberate step away from, the beast will make off with your children. He'll come after them in the night. Now it's, he will do black magic curses on you. I don't know what the actual quote is, but that, maybe that's just the sense of it. Right. Um, the monster has her under his spell. I've heard of the effects of dark magic, but I've never before seen it with my own eyes. This is a threat to our very existence. This creature will curse us all if we don't stop it. Well, I say we kill the beast. An interesting change, and one that could be used for a purpose. But in this scene, and the scene where the curse lifts, we learn that the villagers here are under a bad spell, making it confusing how much of their personality is due to it. So now this isn't a film about small-town small-mindedness anymore. Fitting, since it isn't a film about anything else anymore, either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't understand any aspect of that decision to change that. I don't understand, on any level, why Bill Condon fixated on this idea that the behaviour of the townspeople required an explanation. Mm. It just doesn't. And at the same time, change their behaviour. That part where the guy is coming out and being the Gaston and saying, You're teaching a girl to read? What on earth are you doing? Teaching another girl to read isn't one enough. We have to do something. Well, you've taken out a character who thought that before, so I don't know what you're putting him in for. And And then at other times, once again, at other times, they're more reasonable than they are in the original. Yeah, Yeah. like when they confront Gaston about killing Maurice. Yeah, once again, they make random changes that are wrong in both directions at the same time. I quite like mob song Brackets Kill the Beast. It's an example of the musical adaptation it could have been. The mm. new lyrics are a bit basic, but okay. Yeah. It was okay. It was, yeah, it was, it was perfectly... It was a passable version of that song. Fine. Yeah. That qualifies as an unprecedented win for this film, so... Yeah. Um, Gaston, uh, when he confronts the beach... The beach? When he goes <laughs> to the beach. When Gaston confronts the beast up on the roof, yeah. he goes, Bell sent me. And I like that change. Yeah. But it is from the musical. Right. So I already like that change anyway. So now it's like, yeah, he's he's just sort of trying to... Uh, 
that count as gaslighting? He's he's trying to in, in a convince sense. him that it was Bell's idea to set them on it. That's cool. I like yeah, that. that's, yeah, that's nasty good. and Gastoni. Yeah. Uh, then we get a bit of crap Marvel heroes jumping. Um, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. And my, this is where the Beast is jumping around from rooftop to rooftop, and I yeah. thought he's an animal, not a superhero. His jumps have to physically come out of his legs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like they did in the old film. Yeah. And here we go. Uh, this is the point at which we see witness the long drawn out death of Disney's Cogsworth. Here we see the characters die. Yeah. Right in front of us. Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they kill. They kill all the objects off in this version of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Here I am telling you in this. Um, this is the for context. This little snippet starts with him thinking about the predictions that he made for what he thought the story of Beauty and the Beast might be, and how there's not very much point in revisiting those predictions because, as he says, I can't address any of the things that I guessed because they were all so wrong. <laughs> I didn't think they were that wrong. You know, I thought there was an eternal life thing. Oh, that, that's true. Like, yeah, Gaston was because I assumed that they were cursed to be houseware, and that means they never die. But I guess they'll just die and then they turn back into the houseware that they are that's one thing does the houseware actually exist like when lumiere turns into human lumiere is there a candlestick that comes out of his bum or something like was there a candlestick that he got put into or did he become the candlestick no he became a candlestick so now the house is down one candlestick yes right but it's also down a whole lot of other stuff yeah like is the castle empty if everything that's in the castle now is stuff. Did they just, like, dump out all the original stuff? They probably did. I mean, think... Okay, think about this. Imagine you're a person who owns a teapot, right? And then you turn into a teapot. Mm. Under what circumstances going forward are you going to use a teapot again? Just chuck it out. Under the circumstances that I don't want to fill myself with hot liquid. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's fine. She obviously doesn't mind doing that, so it's like, that, that must feel yeah. fine to her. Again, and again, this is me not meeting the movie on its own terms, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry. Well... The um they actually changed the terms uh for the for the movie version because in um and this addresses something that you've already suggested what happens if they die that is that happens <laughs> in the in the remake you get to watch Cogsworth Ooh. die uh, okay <laughs> and yes he turns into a, a non sentient clock okay so in the stage version because they couldn't have little puppety candelabras and things moving around they came up with the conceit that they are turn ing into objects as the show goes on they get more objecty they use that for the film as well but they they already start off as like fully objects it's just that they're starting to have little seizures that kind of briefly turn them into a clock or a candle or whatever oh that's terrible i hate that yeah oh, it's awful it's, <laughs> i hate that that's a thing it's horrible and in the uh, <laughs> end when the last petal falls and it, it looks like it's too late you have to watch this long protracted sequence of them all saying their final goodbyes and like Chip turning into a cup and, and like everyone mourning each other's death. and st- It's grotesque. It's absolutely horrible. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it, it would be really funny if the whole film didn't make me feel so sick all the way through. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think you should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It's odd. I don't think it was ineffective. No. In fact, it was effective, yeah. and that's what made it weird. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea that the the objects are gradually changing, and I do kind of like the idea, I said before, that when the petal falls, they're too late. That's a bit Little Mermaid. You're yeah. too late. But then I had to watch Lumiere die. Yeah. I had to watch the dog die. 
Yeah. It's a bit much. I... And it happens at a moment where you know that it's about to be reversed in a yes. second. Yeah, and then when it is, it's really weak how it's reversed. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know how they could have done that? How? Yeah. Have them gradually all die in that manner over the course of the battle scene. Yeah, the battle scene. Yeah, exactly. That would have been great. And, like, and sad and yeah. scary and yeah. thrilling. That would have been great. Like That's one by one, done. they're succumbing to the curse yeah. and like, you know, like... They're fighting side by side, you know, Cogsworth and Lumiere. It's like, oh, we've oh got them God. on the run. And then he turns around and it's just a clock or oh whatever. Oh, God, that would have been so good. For example. Is that from something else? That's, it feels like such a native movie moment that I'm thinking, like, is that actually in something? Where they turn around and, oh, you're dead already? Yeah. Must be. I, there must be moments That would like have been that. great. That would have been great. Like, and there's, they have a moment where they try and let LeFou and Mrs. Potts connect for some reason. Right. And a way to do that would be to have it that, like, he's trying, he, you know, he's noticed that this is happening to them. Mrs. Potts has been all right to him so far. Yeah. He's already having his turn because, you know, they they tried to hint at him gradually realising that Gaston and what Gaston is doing to the town is bad. Yeah. Um, like the extra lines in the mob song. Yeah. Um, so it would have been cool if he then, like, recognising that Mrs. Potts was about to change, got her somewhere safe. Or yeah. she does, and then he puts her somewhere safe. And that would have been quite a touching moment it wouldn't have been you know quite you know sort of like the disney animated version of um javert putting yeah. his badge on yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but see that's a way that i think they could have actually got what they wanted dramatically out of that idea yeah. without it just being like here is a scene that you know is going to be taken back in literally one second yeah. where all the supporting cast just die yeah they just die. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's because it happens in isolation that it feels so extraneous. Do it during the battle scene and it would have it, it would have elevated the battle scene. Yeah. It would have increased the stakes of that. Because that scene's quite slapsticky. Yeah. And I'm annoyed now. <laughs> well, when they, we get Daisy Ridley on board, we can... Uh... You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get René Aubergenois to sort of intimidate them with his Odo voice into taking this idea on. Yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. So watching Cogsworth die, a bit unnecessary, especially when he gets to the point of saying, like, I can't speak. Yeah. And it's this real. It goes on forever. It's It's real. It's a real body horror moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. Yes, of course. She's the Enchantress all along. Right. Yeah. And she just decides. Yeah. Does she even give, like, a verbal explanation? No. no. She just points. Yeah. And then she whiffs it, because he lands facing the wrong way. <laughs> he has to turn around to reveal himself. <laughs> she probably realised that that was more cinematic. The, Enchant- <laughs> the Enchantress is a huge arsehole in this. She's cursed the whole village for something one prince did. Yeah. Mrs. Potts had a husband. Chip had a father. Yeah. Outside, he's... Right. The dad has now aged ten years, and they haven't. Yeah, it's like the it's like it's like Avengers Endgame. <laughs> it is like she's basically Thanos. <laughs> she is. Here's a moment of praise. I'm very glad they didn't have Bell say it is you. Yeah, because that's for animation. Yeah, we can tell it's the same face in this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But it's you see what I mean. I bet they were tempted to do it. Yeah. Uh, and here we go. And this was something I was going to say earlier, and I said, no, I'll bring it up later. Yeah. And I said it with a cross voice. Yeah. Literally, yeah. the instant there is a dog in this film, 
yeah. it pisses on someone. Yeah. Right? This, yeah. because that's the sort of film this is. Yeah, okay. That was like the stamp. Like, the, yeah, you're right. This is the sort of film this is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And why? <laughs> why? Anyway, I've put, that's got to be a record even for bad films. Yeah, I think it probably is. <laughs> uh, the, gut, the wardrobe's guts all explode out. We've just had Chip's saucer smash, and I'm still concerned with who that was. <laughs> or what bit of him it was. Yeah. And then, yeah, we find out that Tucci did shoot all of his teeth out during that fight. Those were his teeth. That did happen. So her guts are now missing. That's canon. Just, <laughs> it's just established it. Well, I think the idea was that he always had bad teeth. Oh. And the, as an organ, he always had missing keys. Oh. I think that was the point they were trying to get across. Right. Then, they cop out on every single character change. They're all obscured in some weird way. And the worst one is... I mean, I suppose, yeah, having just full-on morphs would have been weird. Yeah, it would have been, but, yeah. But they're, they're done so weirdly. Cogsworth's is particularly bad. Because it does happen on screen. Yeah. But do you remember, they just, like, get the camera and, like, whirl it round on the end of a stick. And yeah. then, when it stops... He's Ian McKellen. Yeah. It's, it's rubbish. Yeah, And he's just stood there. He's not even being giddy. No. No. Um, yet more stupid action for Chip and Mrs. Potts this time. Do you remember? He's flying through the air again and she catches him and they both slide down on a tea tray. Yeah. I don't know who that was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look. Hey, no. They actually... <laughs> oh, they do. Good they, point. They establish... That's right. Ding. Yeah. Not every piece of furniture... <laughs> Is sentient. Yeah. Look, Unfortunately, hey, they do it in a dreadful joke that I hate. I didn't mind that joke. Didn't I you? didn't mind it. The hairbrush okay. joke. I thought it was. Right. It, again, well, one of those ones that wasn't delivered brilliantly. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Is everything here alive? Hello. What's your name? <laughs> that is a hairbrush. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind it on paper. It's the same as the one we talked about before. Yeah, I thought it yeah. was a bit tedious the way it was delivered but yeah. it may not be I don't know what my opinion of it is if yeah. it was good <laughs> yeah look by the standards of jokes in yeah. this film it's a highlight It'll, yeah do you know yeah. what oh, yeah it's good by that standard and yeah. by some other standards yeah, yeah that one's okay hey they, and they, they told that in the original that would have been really a funny yeah, moment yeah you know um, so as for yet more stupid action for Chip was there an edict was it the rule of this film that Chip must always be hurtling about? And if so, why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand the physics of it. I don't understand... There the... was one bit in the original where he, like, is in some way hurtling and he... Doesn't he hook his handle and go spinning round? Or is that... I think that's possible. Else? I th- no, I think it's... Uh, it may happen yeah. after he's... You just use the big axe machine or something. Yeah, that's it. And then he's bounding, bounding, bouncing around on the end of the thing. I wonder if they thought And then that... he says, like, oh, you guys got to try this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they th- mistakenly thought that that was a memorable chip thing. And that th- that therefore need to be the entire foundation of his character presentation. Yeah. Um... Chip is the boy who is flung. <laughs> <laughs> then you get the bit... Where, um, oh, the bit where Cogsworth's wife turns up and he's like, turn back into a clock, turn back into a clock. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Lovely. Yeah. Thanks, film. That was, that's nice. Well done. Yeah. Glad you would put that in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's, nasty. It's, in yeah, it's a just way. A, a, a little bit of nastiness. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, um, <laughs> Mr. Parts, as if we wouldn't get it. Yeah. And then, it's me! It's Chip! Bong! Great. Unnecessary ADR. I've put, well, of course, it's all ADR, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, brief moment from a film that knows it's a musical, as Mrs. Potts 
walks along behind the ballroom doing a verse of, of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I didn't mind that. that no, that and was I cool. Didn't mind that like verse. that. Yeah. Guess who wrote it, it turns out? Howard Ashman. Oh, really? It's, yep, it's from the original note. So they cut it from the film. Nice. Okay. No wonder that bit felt okay, I yeah, guess. But, yeah. but no, it's, no, it must be directed well as well. Because for me to... Because there's an, a feeling of aggravation in this film that that scene evidently didn't Trigger, cause yeah, in the yeah. air. So, so good. I guess yeah. I like that bit. Just a real shame they went so far out of their way to remove that little lovely, memorable moment of connection between Mrs. Potts and Maurice. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, yes. Well, I remember it from this morning. From this morning? (laughs) You know, and weren't you when you were a kid thinking like, oh, Chip's going to have a dad now? Yeah, it it seemed like it was pointing in that direction, didn't it? Yeah. No, instead we get the nasty bit of Cogsworth despising his wife instead. (laughs) Instead. (laughs) Yeah. Because they've established they've got spouses outside, and so we can't have that. Yeah. (laughs) Really weird decisions going on. Did, uh, I don't know, did they sort of, like, tacitly pair Maurice off with the Enchantress or what? I don't know. Did they? I don't know, like, I, I can't remember if they did or not. Like, I, I, I sort of maybe had it in my head because right. the old, the Agatha yeah. rescued him earlier. Right, oh, hey, maybe. I don't know, were they, were, was she well, still in the scene? If the they end? did, I bet they cut it. Because, when I was, and I should have said this earlier, perhaps I'll spice it in, but when, I won't, when, can't be asked. When I uh, when I was talking about how I've seen a, a deleted scene version of the uh, the song I always the human again song that's yeah. bad days in the sun days in the sun thank you and gone again um <laughs> in in the original version of that where they had the beast's mum uh, sing a verse and then die the the reason that they cut it was not because you know it, it got as far as the audience screening and, it, and they didn't say like you know no we we don't like this bit. It wasn't that. They cut it because the audience, when questioned, thought that that was the Enchantress because apparently the actresses looked similar I to see. each other. Okay. So, th- presumably, if they did have that bit of connection at the end, they, the audience probably thought, like, that, oh, is Belle's mum back? Yeah. Is yeah. Belle's mum the Enchantress? And, g- God, I haven't thought about it, but is it a problem to cast the Belle's mum actress as the Enchantress and have her be some sort of avenging. Well, isn't that the plot of one of these. Um these books. Yes, it is, actually. It's the yeah. Beauty and the Beast one, I think. Um, what if Belle's mum was the Enchantress? I think that is it. Yeah. A twisted tale. There we go. As old as time, what if Belle's mother cursed the Beast? Belle makes an intriguing discovery about her own mother as she starts to unravel the secrets about the Beast's curse. It makes you wonder why they didn't do that. Yeah. That is, by the way, a, a reference to a weird Disney spin-off novel that we previously discussed in a Fabulous yes. Disney mini So yes. if you don't know what we're talking about, please feel free to check that out. Yeah. And we are basically at the end. Um, this is what you said. Uh, end credit sequence, a statement of what the film was like that the film doesn't live up to at all. Yeah. If only it had bothered to. Yeah. Um, la belle et la bête, oh sod off. <laughs> and then finally... <laughs> I actually have nothing at all against the remake of the pop version at the end. It was fine the first time. It's fine now. The bloke's range is right on the line of this film, sadly, so he keeps having to octave hop. (laughs) Presumably, I mean, this song, not this film. Um, But it was alright. And that was broadly how I felt about the uh, the one in Aladdin as well. No, I hated that. Did you? Yeah, I really hated that. Really? Like, I tried listening to it because I bought the album. Did you? uh, And I just can't listen to it. (laughs) I can't. It's, It's... 
Well, I haven't tried it with that much depth and scrutiny, but yeah. I, I did hear it in the credits twice and both times thought it was fine. Yeah, no, I can't be doing with it. It's just not... It's one of those performances where it's not the notes. Right. Yeah. And I can't... Yeah, that's my allergy. I can't, oh, so, you, so across the board, you can't have that in any context, including a pop song. No, I just hate it. Fair I just enough. hate it. It's just sing the notes. <laughs> that... Well, isn't that the... The low-level benchmark of how you sing a, a specific song. It is if you're a very old person. But no, they've changed it now. It's this. This is well, what you do now. they're wrong. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. We still have a musical theatre. They still sing in a Broadway way there. So Yeah. But well, look, if, if this film's anything to go by, then maybe we know we don't have musicals anymore either. Maybe. Culture's dead. Yeah. The end. Oh, no, it's okay. Aladdin came after this and we like that. Oh yeah, okay, culture's back. Hooray! Well, look, Just hey, in time for... I have said, I don't know if I've ever, I've, I've certainly not been on record as okay. saying this, okay. but be exciting. I have a complicated relationship with music in that I just oh, yeah. generally don't like it. <laughs> and my No, con- it's that you need a context for it, right? I do need a context for it, but in terms of freestanding music that's on the radio, uh-huh. whoa, no, that that's... So uh, under almost no circumstances would you listen to a pop song at all? Well, I'm okay with music before a certain point. Because if it's su- sufficiently old, then the music we're hearing now from those eras, it's been vetted by culture. Ah, the bad so you're on the got, best of. Yeah, we're yeah. on the best of. It's automatically the best of. If, if it was bad, we wouldn't still be hearing it. And my cut-off point specifically <laughs> is the release of Will Smith's song Wild Wild West. <laughs> Which I consider the last good song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Hey, I'll leave it there. Okay. Yeah. And so, that's why it was okay coming back with Aladdin. Yeah, it's all right. Will right, Sp- right, right. Will Smith still got our back. You sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Will. <laughs> if only he'd done a rap at the end of the be- of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Same credit sequence. Yeah. Or, if they couldn't get Will Smith, I would accept René Aubergenois. Doing a Will Smith rap. Yes. Right. (laughs) In the Le Poisson voice. Yes. (laughs) God, we've fixed this film from top to bottom, haven't we? I know. I mean, it'll have to be a Netflix miniseries now. Yeah, or Disney Plus. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Of course. Hire us. (laughs) Imagine we got on Disney Plus. Well, we're blacklisted now. This is exactly what I was worried about. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Hugh Disney. (laughs) Whoa. That's that's quite rude, isn't it? I mean, to deserve that, they'd have to do something pretty... Oh, I've just randomly remembered something that I nearly forgot to put in the podcast. It's just popped into my head, just completely randomly, for no reason. Let's finish on this clip that I found of Linda Wolverton the writer of the screenplay for the original Beauty and the Beast, talking to the hosts of the podcast It Happened in Hollywood. This is the source of her comments about how the magic book broke the reality of the story. But I'm more interested in something else, she says, towards the end. Earlier in the same podcast, she talks about how she didn't just write down Disney's ideas, but worked closely with Howard Ashman to develop the story, including creating Belle as a character, Chip was entirely her idea, and so on. This is the person who wrote Beauty and the Beast. And then... Even though the movie had been nominated for Best Picture, I was not a member of the Writers Guild because... Oh, animation. Animation isn't covered by the Guild. Wow. Yeah. Is it still is it still that way? Yep, they... it's still that way. Whoa, wait. It's still that way. So That's there are crazy. no residuals. What? 
for animated features at all. So when you do a live action version and you've done the story for like Beauty and the Beast, right? Did you get credit for that and, or get residuals for no. when they turn it into live action? No. Nope. What? what? Zero. Just, Zero. And you created Belle and you created all of this. Come on, yeah. Disney. Yeah. That's the way it works. Wow. Yep. You get in the park for free? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Come on. $1,264,000,000 worldwide. Right, well, it's time we got out of here. Let's say goodbye to Ewan. So, as we always say at the end of these episodes, do you remember how we ended it last time? No. No? Not at all? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'm goofy. That's all. <laughs> that, no, I can't do goofy at all. Hold on, let me try. <laughs> Is this how we ended it last time? <laughs> we ended it with Mickey Mouse saying that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you say oof, you're the Disney guy. He, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, what does he sound like? Well, I can't. I don't do a Don Cheadle voice. I can't do it. <laughs> good ref saw that episode today, would not have got that joke yesterday. Oh, good. But I know he doesn't sound like he's being hurt. <laughs> does he not? Like. <laughs> 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 Okay, well, that's awful. (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) All right, yep, I'm done now. (laughs) There we go, there we go. So that was just a drop in. We don't need to say uh, goodbye. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How many hours? Five and a half. Five and a half, yes. Okay. God. There's more than one episode of this. I think so. Yeah, like, look, there's a lot of editing that you can do to that. I know, but I don't by, by, want the, to. by the end of it. There's so much editing taking up my life now. Yeah. I'm supposed to be writing a book and I haven't done any since Christmas with editing. Yeah, you are mostly just a podcast editor yeah, now. That is what I am now, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to monetize this. And so we have. If you enjoy what we do on this podcast, then you can support us with money by going to patreon.com forward slash serious business. And look, no, we haven't come up with anything to make as Patreon-exclusive content yet, and we haven't had the chance to do it because there's been a pandemic on and so on. So it would just be supporting us so that we can pay for the things that we need to watch to make this podcast with. But maybe it's, it'll be, the pandemic might be over eventually, and then we can make more stuff. You know, we'll have a bit more time then to work together on things. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, look, support us, please. It would be nice. Also, while the pandemic is on and we can't get together to record things in the same room like we did with this one, uh, we do still make episodes of Serious Disney from time to time and we do them as videos because it's just easier that way to stream, isn't it? You end up with picture, so there's picture. And you can find those on my YouTube channel, Demon Tomato Dave, and you'll just find them there. They're, they'll all be they'll, they'll be episodes of this podcast uh, when I put them up, but I just haven't done them all yet, so you can get previews there if you like. Also, I've got another podcast. It's called Sonic the Comic, the podcast, and you can find that by looking for it. I do it with Chris McFeely from Transformers The Basics, and it is about the UK's Sonic the Hedgehog comics that came out in 1993 and onwards. We're up to about 1995 now, and as well as reading through the comic, one issue per episode, we also just sort of talk about what it was like to live at that time. There's a lot of talk of Woolworths and sweets and things. So you, I think, will probably enjoy that if you enjoy this. Don't worry if you've never read the comic, or don't care about Sonic the Hedgehog, I'm told it's still good, because it's all quite funny and well-produced and things, if I do say so myself. So go and listen to that, Sonic the Comic, the podcast, and stay tuned for more episodes of this 
Bye! Ooh, 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 ooh